1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.
2: Welcome to podcast like it's 1992, the podcast where you talk about the films of 1992. Here from our perch in 2023, I am one of your hosts, Phyllis I'm
3: your special guest host, Emily St. James. I'm sitting in for your regular host, Constance Sampson, who lost the Academy Award for Best Actress for her work in Hot and Cold to Rachel Marin from the film Queen of the Night. Hot and Cold, of course, went on to win six Oscars, but Best Actress was not one of them. It did win Best Sound, though. but We got to see that.
4: <laughs>
2: Emily... We have to do a Here's podcast the about the fictional Academy Awards from the film The Bodyguard of 1992. Thing.
3: I'm going to make no friends this episode. I'm coming in slinging heat. This movie fucking sucks. It stinks. <laughs> it's bad. It's terrible. But the thing I liked, <laughs> yeah. the thing I liked was the fake Oscars. That was yeah. great. Every moment of See, it.
2: See, I had a feeling you were going to like the fake Oscars. I believe. <laughs> I just, it felt like something that was very much. in My name. wife
3: watched this with me and she was like i remember liking this movie i think probably the soundtrack's better than the movie uh and i was like that seems like a safe assumption but let's check it it was a big people loved it it's a big movie and she was watching it, it like her face just fell and she was like nothing in this movie makes sense why did i like this when i was 10 it's because you were an idiot when you were 10 that's, that's <laughs> well, why
2: so before we get into all of that with us today <laughs>
3: anyway she also liked the fake oscars that that was the point of that story yeah.
2: <laughs> with us today is andrew ambrose lee Harper Thompson, Stanley Philippe, hosts of the I've Been Meaning to Listen to that podcast. They are with us today to talk about the second highest grossing worldwide movie of 1992, The Bodyguard. Uh, a seismic hit, Emily. Something that re- you really can't here's, underplay how big this Here's movie
3: the was. interesting thing about this movie. It is yes. I actually remember yes. the coverage of this at the time. It was a movie that was shown as like international box office is becoming more important because it's one of the few movies pre the 2000s mm-hmm. that has a higher percentage of its box office worldwide than it does mm-hmm. domestically. It's the seventh biggest movie in the US. It's the second biggest in the world. And it's, it's probably because Whitney Houston's a global superstar and people wanted, but like
4: mm-hmm.
2: that didn't work
3: mm-hmm. in the favor of movies starring Madonna. Although this movie has what was Almost. then the biggest song of all time so all time. the
2: yeah. biggest movie soundtrack of all time which we emily and i are honored to do a a companion episode right. with yeah. you guys on your podcast about the bodyguard soundtrack so we will not linger on that too much here um
3: i just i i'm i'm gonna linger on it for a second yeah, but sure. because and you have to let it <laughs> <up> linger <laughs> we, 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 have to, we have to talk about it a little bit <laughs> because but, i yes. love i love i love that your podcast uh, i've been meaning to listen to that and i oh, wow, i you. was like hey i want to do this because i've never listened to this album and i uh watched this movie and i have not listened to this album to the degree that i have only had heard two songs in it and one of them was i will always love you which you know you can't escape one of the big songs of all time one of the great songs of all time the other one was queen of the night which i did not realize had lyrics beyond i'm the queen of the night i, I thought that was the whole song <laughs> Wait,
2: you hadn't you hadn't heard the other song no. the i have nothing no
3: no, oh, Phil. So I grew yeah. up conservative. I grew up conservative Christian. I grew up listening to country music in oldies.
2: <laughs> Philippe's, St- Stanley's face. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he's right. just shocked and appalled. That that. But... Yes.
1: Go I'm, ahead. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm like almost like a physical podcaster where I express myself a lot, which is not great for podcasting because it's a no. It was platform. a great face though. It was. It was. Oh, wow, I had nothing but emotions in that moment. How did <laughs> we? We have to talk about this in our podcast because okay. that is yeah, a we don't want to huge revelation. Yeah. Huge. I so it it
2: should be said that this is one of those movies that I oddly think both the movie and the soundtrack kind of fed each other. Mm-hmm. Like they were both huge. Like it really can't be understated that like there are big soundtracks. I mean, a movie that comes to mind that we talked about on our singles episode when we did that Emily, the single soundtrack is a huge soundtrack. It was a soundtrack that did very, very well. A movie that doesn't really exist
3: yeah Yeah.
2: right movie flops but the soundtrack because grunge was sort of in its nascent what have you that soundtrack was a big deal at least me being the oldest person on this podcast was a big deal to me (laughs) so (laughs) I, i i say this just because you can find movies that have soundtracks that really pop but the movies don't do that as well so the fact that both of these exist, I think is a testament to something. Mm-hmm. Now, Emily, I don't disagree with you. I think this movie's kind of dog
3: shit, Yeah. But Yeah, yeah, let's tear it down. But, let's kill well, people's here's
2: what's heroes. Funny. When, you, when you texted me, I had not finished the film yet. So Emily texts me. I'm like 40 minutes from the end of the film and she's like, this movie fucking sucks. And I was like, listen, my roommate ran into our TV room to sing along with this, like just couldn't, like, get enough of this movie. So, clearly, this movie means something to people.
3: Mm. It shouldn't. It
2: shouldn't. (laughs) There's a camera gun. There's
3: a camera
5: gun in this movie. (laughs) Thank you.
6: Genius.
5: (laughs) I will say, like, if this was like a real Oscars, if that, like, really happened, (laughs) it would be on, like... Number three on like a BuzzFeed listicle of like top ten craziest Oscar moments. It wouldn't be number one, yeah. Like the slap, and slap. then yeah. Jimmy Kimmel, like yeah. the switch off. Oh. Like
3: I, <laughs> I can, I can imagine being. You know, we do a lot of those Oscar listicles at Vox. I can imagine being at mm-hmm. Vox and trying to be like, so where does the attempted assassination <laughs> of the Best Actress winner fall alongside the slap and the La La Land moonlight mix-up? It's just like, mm-hmm. oh. I'm not sure
5: it's i mean that, that I, model was is, pretty funny it's like you gotta like give it that
2: Because like, like when you texted me emily i i was kind of defending it a little bit because truth be told the last 40 minutes of this film are so bug nuts <laughs> like it goes so fucking crazy that like you can almost defend the first sort of hour of this film almost i'm not i mean i, I have my
3: issues i i yeah. want to just go around the horn on a question here i'm going to start with our guests and circle back to you philip yeah, i'm calling you philip yeah. this episode this thing we're doing great okay do you think costner and houston have any chemistry i'm going to start with you andrew and i want uh, you stanley and harper to think about this question <laughs>
5: oh yeah yeah similar to this i don't think they have chemistry like romantic chemistry but i do think that there is a metatextual element that's interesting of Kevin Costner really wanted Whitney Houston to do it. Like he was, that, that was her, he was, she was her top pick. And uh, so there's like the metatextual element of like, oh shit, we got Whitney Houston to be in my movie. And then it's also Whitney Houston coming in her first acting gig and going, okay, I admire this guy as an actor. So there's like, it's not like a romantic spark, but it's like, mutual the uh, this admiration that's all they're almost endearing to watch but still
3: a mess also yeah all right Stanley I'd love to hear your thoughts
1: yeah here's the deal y'all anytime you can include a sword in foreplay it's either (laughs) chemistry or a crime scene and I don't think Whitney died there so I'm gonna say yes to chemistry yes oh
3: yeah uh Harper your thoughts
6: yeah i think that they are okay so i find whitney houston to be so charming that i think that she could have at least some chemistry with like literally anyone Mm -hmm. and i think that was really the big thing that was going on here i was thinking a lot about kevin costner while watching this because i think i'm slightly too young to understand kevin costner as like a leading man like sex symbol right Mm -hmm. which i think he was in the late 80s early 90s like that's yeah yeah you know, I'm a little too young to get it. Like, I recently watched Field of Dreams for the first time. Um, and I was like, okay, like, he's like a hot liberal dad in Iowa, you know, like, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, but, you know, and but I
2: have you seen Bull Durham? i have not
6: movie? and i need to because sports movies are like my one of my top genres great so I, that's on my great list movie. it's
2: yeah. it's the horniest
5: movie ever made oh, but yeah. that, i said it's it's real, it's burnham and like my
2: millennial brain was like oh no, finally no.
5: something i can talk about <laughs> <laughs> boulder a great movie i'm just okay. yes
6: yeah I, yeah I, yeah, I agree. yeah. It's definitely on my on my sports watch list. Um, but yeah, so I feel like he does have something going on, but I just yeah, it wasn't necessarily something that was happening between him and Whitney Houston. It's just that they both kind of have a thing.
3: Whitney
5: Houston could have like a chemistry with like a bag of hair clippings. Yeah. So that was, that's yeah. sorry, that yeah. was not, yeah. I yeah. Kevin Costner. nothing at yeah. that point. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Kevin Costner. Yeah. <laughs> Liberal <laughs> Iowa Iowa farmer, it's is my like my dream so like that's my, your time that's my next live husband
2: i thought it was uh i thought it was david strathair in, i, lo- I love i love i love two things
3: i love i love liberal <laughs> iowa farmers and i love surprisingly liberal fishermen who live in new orleans Cage and wear, hat, wear, wear hats that say trout um uh <laughs> Phil, so can
2: i, can no, I chime, chime in, on, in this? on this yeah i so i was uh um suspicious about their chemistry coming into this film because I don't Mm. feel like they're two people that I necessarily thought would have chemistry and they do a good job of kind of hiding Whitney for a good like 10 12 minutes of this movie even like the first scene she's in we don't see her they do a really good job of sort of like obscuring her building up to her reveal and the first time they lock eyes I was like shit there's something here Mm -hmm. like this is these two actually do have something and then it kind of goes away and then it kind of comes back in these kind of adorable scenes that they have together the cute scenes are the ones that worked for me yeah yeah, when it's trying to be steamy and hot i'm like the lady doth protest (laughs) but (laughs) but when it's kind of endearing and genuine i was like this this works for me so I, i don't know
3: I feel like uh, when Kevin Costner has sex in real life, he makes sure he finds his light, and it's like the least erotic thing possible. <laughs> Just like I'm here, see? He knows his, his angles. Key light on me. <laughs> there we go. Uh, no, I I think that they. I think I think you're right. They fit, fully have chemistry, and when they yeah. do and don't, is almost entirely on the script, which is a very strange script. Uh, and also, the director is doing them no favors. So, None. Yeah. Anyway.
2: So I want to give a little bit of context for this, for our listeners, for the, I don't know, five people that have... We are the five people that have not seen The Bodyguard, for the record. <laughs> like this, that's the six people that have not seen this movie. But uh, best-selling pop, diva, Rachel Marron played by Whitney Houston, as a stalker whose obsession has risen to the level of disturbing threats. At the urging of her manager, Rachel Hire's former Secret Service agent, Frank Farmer, a name that could not be more ridiculous, uh, played by Kevin Costner as her bodyguard. Another
3: hot farmer. <laughs> Another hot <laughs>
2: farmer. Another hot farmer initially resented and treated with disdain for his hard-nosed security procedures okay. of which he fucking sucks at uh farmer soon becomes an integral part of rachel's, rachel's inner circle as they spend more time together client and protector become closer still the bodyguard opened on november 25th 1992 against home alone 2 lost in new york aladdin bram Stoker's dracula malcolm x and of course the mighty ducks yeah. would go on to make oh four hundred and eleven million dollars on a twenty five million dollar budget. It has thirty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, sixty-four from audiences. Roger Ebert, however, Emily, gave this he film three it. stars. He liked, it. He liked yeah. this movie uh he said the ads for the bodyguard make it look like a romance but actually it's a study of two lifestyles of a pop star superstar whose fame and fortune depends on millions of fans and a professional bodyguard who makes his living by protecting her from those fans the movie does contain a love story but it's the kind of guarded passion that grows between two people who spend a lot of time keeping their priorities straight sure i mean we need to talk about the script emily because i think that the the fundamental problems here stem from one of our greatest screenwriters (laughs) Lawrence Katz. Yes. Uh, A man who has many great credits to his his name. Um, Some big studio crazy movies, some smaller movies like The Big Chill. He kind of really can do it all and this is an early script that he writes early in his career before he becomes anything.
5: He was a copywriter. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. He just kind of writes this thing. And the way he talks about this script, you would think he wrote fucking, I don't even, like, Citizen Kane or something. Mm -hmm. He talks about how I loved all my early scripts. I expected everybody else to love them. It wasn't until I wrote The Bodyguard and sensed it was different that I realized I was writing an increased level of density. Density,
3: Emily? Mm -hmm. What are your
2: thoughts on the density of
3: this script? well now you put it that way i realize it's perfectly structured in every way
5: <laughs> Well, yeah. these characters uh, are
3: <laughs> kind of dense yeah. uh-huh.
6: by density you mean there's too much going on
3: yeah well it's um i understand why this was a good spec for him i could imagine sure. this being good on the page my cat's here look at that yeah uh, I can imagine,
2: and also good on the page in the early, like yeah. late seventies or And like the yeah. the, yeah,
3: when this is like an era when they're like this kind of movie, this romantic drama. This is, you know, the obvious analog for this is a Star Is Born, which has very similar elements. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, <That's> <laughs> that <laughs> was
2: the sound of uh, Emily's cat. Or, or just
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but like the, this like subgenre of film, the the romantic mm-hmm. drama about you know with people of two different levels of like class or fame or whatever stratification you want to come up with is like a big deal in the 70s so i could see like where he got a lot of heat from that but like you know it kind of uh by the 90s he should have done a rewrite i mean i'm sure he did but he should have maybe done a page one that's all i'm saying i just think maybe a page one
2: what's interesting too twofold the first is Yes, everything you're saying, this was originally developed as a Steve McQueen, Diana Ross vehicle, then Mm -hmm. it turns into a Ryan O'Neill, Diana Ross vehicle when they were dating, then they break up. Shockingly, movie falls apart. Um, (laughs) And then it kind of goes away for a while, it's put on a shelf. And then it's redeveloped because Costner really loves this idea. And they redevelop it with other writers who try to kind of dial up the violence and to dial up some of the sort of the tension and what have you, and they feel like it gets too violent, so they literally go back to Kasdan's script, which is kind of just odd to me. And I I really think it's Costner that's just like fucking full steam ahead on this thing. He just really Mm -hmm. wants to make it.
1: Yeah, I think, is, I think the key word here is I think the key is vehicle, right? I think it was it was both the vehicle for Costner to continue to expand his his dominance because at the time he had all these amazing movies. He was the movie star, him and Tom Cruise Huge. of movie stars in that kind of early 90s period. And then mm-hmm. Costner also wanted to make sure he attached he attached the biggest pop star at the time, which was Winnie right. Houston. So so that that vehicle, that the driving of these two massive stars. I think kind of uh, came as a priority over any type of script that made any type of sense. And I think the highlights of the movie are related to when those two stars show, wait for it, chemistry, uh, and also when they're allowed to do what they do best, which is either sing their hearts out or look awkwardly as someone is singing their hearts out, which is what Costner does really, really well. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, you talk about uh, Kevin Costner, so it's, it's worth kind of just talking about where he is at this point in his career. I mean, I would argue he's at the, potentially, the most power he's ever had mm. creatively. Dancing with Wolves comes out in 90, which he obviously wins Best director, wins best Picture. It's a huge hit. He follows it up with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which was a big hit. A movie I have not rewatched since I was 11. I want to mm. say
3: so uh, I get uh, I come under fire sometimes I come on a show and I'm like the bodyguard sucks and people are like but I love that movie and then I'm like would you first see it I was like I'm 11 I'm like you're wrong you're wrong and your 11 year old self is they're wrong they're
5: currently 11 okay yeah. so Robin Hood
3: Prince of Thieves it was my favorite movie of all time at that age I rewatched it last year when I was home for maternity leave with my kid
2: don't say it Holds up. holds up so
3: bad so <laughs> bad I remember oh, no. that like my it was like my idea of what like romantic love was like like Kevin oh, Costner wow. and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in that film
2: and with Ryan Adams playing. In the background. Yeah,
3: with Brian Adams playing in the background yeah. and just like, no, not at all. Alan Rickman's still fun. But then you remember that the climax of that movie is a comedic rape scene. And you're like, mm, not sure about that. It uh, doesn't hold up. Eleven uh, year old Emily. She's a fucking idiot, too. So there we go. <laughs>
2: So he follows up Robin Hood with 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 a pretty crazy, I mean, he does JFK, yeah. which is a big fucking crazy swing. Um, it only basically gets made because Kevin Costner decides he's going to do it. Um, he puts all of his clout behind a paranoid Oliver Stone movie, which also makes a boatload of money. And then he makes the bodyguard, which makes a boatload of money. Um, and then it kind of gets away from. Him. I would argue that that's kind of the beginning. This of is the end. This
3: is like the last one, right?
2: This is well, because I mean, it depends on what you want. Like, Tint Cup is fun. He wasn't it, a, it wasn't. Still well. like a hit.
3: You know, it, it wasn't, wasn't like a, a smash.
2: Yeah. No, it's this is this is yeah. I mean, basically, the real nail in the coffin is Waterworld. Infamously, obviously, this kind of big catastrophic thing.
1: Which, Although, can, can I just mention real quick, based off of Emily's. Understanding of Costner's uh, movie listings. Maybe we, if we rewatch Waterworld, it'll be like the most epic, amazing. Because back then, there are people was, that ride for Waterworld, there are people that ride. That's wild. For that's a wild case.
3: Okay. Yeah. Listen, yeah. listen, there was, there was, uh, uh, at one point, I was like, there's a Waterworld TV show, uh, and I know some people who are, are working on it. And like, yes, yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to get picked up. I don't know anything about this. It's like a while back. So I was like, I'm going to watch Waterworld pretty good. It's pretty good. Oh, it's pretty man. good. I love it.
6: I think I mean, they can incorporate the spirit of the live action experience at Universal <laughs> Studios, because the Waterworld uh, show at Universal is amazing. Like, it's the best part of going there.
1: The thing about... You nailed
2: it. I think Waterworld is still alive in people's consciousness because of that theme. The
3: thing about Waterworld, just, um, we're only going to talk to this last thing, we're going to end with the Waterworld train, <laughs> I promise, is... At the time it was released people were like a whole planet underwater that's pretty far fetched like arguably like time has been very kind to waterworld oh. and it's because we it's because we've been destroying the planet so that's like the one good thing to come out of it is now people like waterworld hey part. there's
5: a silver lining there's a silver <laughs> oh. lining i mean i also think people
2: kind of like waterworld because and this maybe this is a bit of a stretch but i still think is the mad max of it all I think that Mad Max, it has a very Mad Max on water vibe. That's kind of basically what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that Fury Road got people back into sort of Mad Max headspace. And I think, I don't know, I just feel like Waterworld has this kind of, I also think because it wasn't like actually that big a failure is the thing people also don't remember. Like, yes, this movie, it cost $260 million, which is insane in 1995. Because, (laughs) spoiler, they shot the whole fucking thing on water, so it's impossible <laughs> to make that on a reasonable budget. Um, they also like kind of shot it twice, and the director was like fired, and there was all kinds of shit that went on. But like this movie still made almost two hundred million dollars. So like it didn't make all their money back, but like it didn't sink a studio. It wasn't the type mm-hmm. of thing that that was truly catastrophic. Um, it's also the same director of your favorite movie, Emily uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Listen,
3: um, yeah, listen, 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 Mel Brooks. No, but yeah, absolutely. yep. Listen, yep. <laughs> Kevin uh Kevin Costner made sure that Kevin Reynolds just kept working. And like <laughs> for that we can thank him, I guess. He also like had yeah. him direct that Hatfields and McCoys miniseries that like, He did they they must, must be Kevin
5: Solidarity.
3: The thing, yeah. yeah, I mean their names are Kevin. I feel like if your name is Kevin, you know all the other Kevins <laughs> their and names your friends.
5: Are Kevin. You're Kevin, I'm Kevin. You know are we best
2: friends?
3: <laughs> you know how like <laughs> yeah. it, it, It's very important. It's very important to like understand that humans are complex and they are not reduced to any single element of their identity, except for people named Kevin. They're all they're all named Kevin, and it's very important to them.
2: So, um, I feel Uh. like I'd be remiss if we didn't talk for a second about the director of this film, Mick Jackson. Now, Mick Jackson has only made seven movies in his career. Um, L.A. Story comes out in '91, which is a pretty big hit. The Steve Martin movie. That's a good movie. Martin wrote it is a good movie um it's a little dated but it's a good movie um he makes this in 92 and then he makes a little movie called clean slate which i'm sure you guys are not aware of was uh, the dana carvey vehicle i'm not even guy aware who has of amnesia
3: that. i'm not
6: oh even no that.
2: he's a he's a private investigator who has a has amnesia and he forgets things. <laughs> oh
6: no as <laughs> well at his job <laughs> 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 That's
2: that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So he does that, and that movie is, uh, as you can imagine, a big old flop. And then he makes Emily's favorite volcano movie, Volcano. Hey, hey.
3: I think is I prefer Dante's, Dante's Peak. Volcano.
2: Dante's Peak is better than Volcano. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. I was just, I was, that was a shot in the that, dark. Yeah.
3: But, but... It, 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 here's here's Phil's theory of my movie taste. If he doesn't like it, but he doesn't like it in a way where he's like, This is disastrous, he's like, Emily might like this. I got a 50-50 shot.
2: 50-50 shots uh, a pretty good ratio. I feel like if I just take a swing, I'm probably gonna hit it half the time. Um I mean, Volcano wrong, is the movie clear, where
3: you two know me pretty well.
2: <laughs> where volcano, uh, where a volcano grows out of the center of Los Angeles, mm. and the only two people to fight it are Tommy Lee Jones and Ann Hash, who kind of have no romantic chemistry. Well, that's a shock! Amber, you feel like you have thoughts on volcano. I do,
6: I do. I just, I because I grew up in LA, so for me, like seeing them blow up the Beverly Center so that they could redirect the lava down Wilshire is like so fundamental <laughs> to my being.
2: The dream of yours? Yeah,
6: <laughs> I think about it all the time. So I, I, I will always love volcano for that.
2: I rewatched volcano. I want to say about a year ago, maybe less, and it is really fun to watch. Now that I've lived in L.A. for, you know, 18 years, crazily enough, first of all, it's a different L.A. It's an mm. L.A. from 1997, where, like, the Beverly Center was actually a place people went <laughs> um, and, and it just it, to see the city in this weird mid-90s kind of view while it's getting melted by molten lava is fun. I I, I, I can't.
3: I want to stay on this topic for a little bit. Andrew Stempley, I don't believe you have any history with LA, but what are your feelings on the Beverly Center? Just tell me yeah, everything you think about it.
1: Oh, I yeah, love it. it. I think it's great. I think
6: can it's we great. talk about the Beverly Center for a while? Because I can. I'm ready. The vibes are off there. I like how they it centers should blow it up. Beverly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they really should. And yeah. the thing is, they keep trying to renovate it, but they only just keep like adding things to it. But it's so old and shitty and has no windows. Yeah. So whenever you're in there, it's like you're in a bunker. My, my. Baby. Have they, they tried?
1: Um, have they tried adding a volcano to it? That might actually. <laughs> Hell, I don't know. Great. My, just a thought.
3: My baby was born at Cedar Sinai, which is right by the Beverly my, Center, right and oh. so like, uh, 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 and she was in the the NICU for a little while. She's fine. She's great. She's great. She's she's wonderful. She's but, great. Uh, better, I, went, she's lovely. Yeah, I went. Yeah, I went and wandered around the Beverly Center for a while. Some days when I was just like, I'm done being in the hospital. Uh, it's like a fucking. Per- it's like a habit trail for humans. It's like <laughs> yes! just like little like like hamster wheat holes and stuff. And like half the stores are empty. You can kind of like go in and wander around. It's great. Everyone should go. It's the best mall. It's it is
1: Yeah, sorry, please go ahead. No, I was gonna say this is a really bad joke, but it's like if you go to this mall, (laughs) it's so stupid, and you order a dessert and it's lava cake, do people go, hey, whoa, 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 too soon. (laughs) All the time, all the time. That okay, uh, uh, was
5: worth it. I'm supportive. It was worth
6: it. <laughs> also, there right, there is know.
2: no way that that there is any establishment that sells a loaf of cake at the Beverly Center. Fair no, you um, have
6: to go a street to the Beverly, across the street to the Beverly yeah. Connection, where there used to Yuck. be a Sioux Plantation. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course, of course. Yeah, and a Baja Fresh. I mean, it's it's mm. great.
6: Yeah, I mean, the Beverly
2: Center is terrible. I feel like there has been innumerable movies shot at the Beverly you Center. Know,
3: what are your thoughts on Sioux Plantation? <laughs>
2: Uh, I think the name is problematic. It's extremely
3: problematic. <laughs> I, I've so the first though. word soup.
5: Okay,
2: yeah, okay. Yeah, Second yeah. word. Now we're coming with gas. Second yeah. word. So, oh.
3: I think, uh, you know, they went out of business early in the pandemic.
2: They did,
4: yeah.
3: And like, I just like, I miss, I miss the concept of a soup and salad like bar buffet yeah, thing. Too. It was For a sure, wonderful yeah. place to go. I just yeah, they uh, they they would have had to change the name. I just like I, I think mean, they yeah, should sure have to you should go, reboot.
2: But... Reboot Soup Plantation. I think this is your chance. You're gonna call
3: it Soup Patrol. You you ever yeah. heard like
6: <laughs> it's you a... ever heard those Oh no go ahead. <laughs> Oh no! Yes, I was just gonna say I could tell you exactly the day that they all closed because I ha- I uh, made an Instagram post where I had um almost identical plates of salads that I had built at Soup Plantation. Uh, it was May seventh, twenty twenty, when I said R.I.P. Oh, soup Plantation. But P. They Wow, did also early, early yeah, in the pandemic.
4: Yeah,
6: it was early. I mean, they were I kind like, of you know in decline.
2: Yeah. I think Soup Plantation was dangling by a thread, and COVID just oh yeah, <laughs> you know real
5: quick. what. I will say, like Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively shouldn't have gotten married at that super plantation. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long walk, but it was worth it. <laughs> just my stance. I don't
2: know. I, so I, you mentioned <laughs> Harper, how charismatic Whitney Houston is. It's just a pivot away yes, from it, oh, yes. yeah, where we've been. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the so super great. plantation bit was great. Yeah, was and great. Great. I, and, uh, but, um, Whitney Houston surprisingly didn't act very much and i i i imagine i mean listen whitney Houston had a tragic brutal life it seems so i don't mean to make light of that but she was also making music so you know you have a lot of these pop stars that would try to balance the two things <clears throat> madonna obviously did that you know for a while and what have you but i looked at her filmography it's it's the bodyguard is waiting to exhale the preacher's wife <sighs> which i've never seen is it good? Oh my gosh, it's so good! good.
6: Yes, yeah, I do a Christmas <laughs> okay. series. I did talk about it on my Christmas series. It's it's wonderful. It's a remake of an old movie called The Bishop's Wife, um, sure. and then this one has Denzel Washington as an angel. And I mean, that doesn't get any better than that. It's really good.
3: I I like I, yes, I like it on. too as a Christmas movie aficionado. I do think one of the problems with it is they down they, the stakes have decreased. When you do when you do a remake, you want to increase the stakes. A bishop mm-hmm. much more powerful than a preacher. It should have been like the Pope's wife. That's what it should have been.
2: Can I just say that oh, I love wow. that Emily knows
5: <laughs> the
3: power
2: structure? Like, who's more powerful within the rankings of religion? I love that about you, Emily. The arch curate's wife.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's really like a ring to it. It really just rolls off the tongue. I've never seen Preacher's Wife. We talked about it very briefly, Emily, when we were doing our um Malcolm X episode of all things. Mm-hmm. Because we were talking about how Denzel very, very infrequently does anything close to a rom-com. Mm-hmm. And I need to watch Preacher's Wife because it feels like he's quite good in it. And it's a shame that he didn't do that more or hasn't done that more.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what else is are those um, all, all the Whitney movies? Or did she then
2: she does the Cinderella? <laughs> oh, we need we're, we're, we're gonna eventually Harper's cover lots it on about our shot. It's
5: like
6: yeah, no, I uh I'm going to say I was born in 1994. Cinderella came out in 1997. I had it on VHS. I watched it uh, possibly every day. Um it it's is awesome. so impossible. Yes, yeah. it's so important to me. And it's not just Cinderella. It's Whitney Houston presents Cinderella. Like this is her project, you know. She developed it's a presentation. it. Presentation.
4: Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. she
6: is the fairy godmother. It's it's a it's a perfect movie. Absolutely perfect. zero notes.
3: I just to take notes for our Wikipedia people, I believe that okay. Harper is the second person on this mini series born after the events of this series, correct correct uh so 1995. 95. yeah yeah so uh I, i'm sorry to make you contemplate a time before you were born because i always <laughs> hate doing that
4: <laughs>
3: i
2: so it should be said uh and this i don't mean this is a humble brag my cousin directed that cinderella film um wow. so uh i'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear how much you love it wow. i tried to watch it i don't think it's very good but that's great
3: is he the she's she all that cousin <clears throat> <clears throat>
2: that's the same guy wow
3: phil let's whoa. get him on the show
6: from justin kelly i would gladly kelly? have him on the show whoa he,
2: that, oh. that's what ended his career
3: oh,
6: a classic
2: <laughs> can i tell you i'm going to tell you a little a little story here very briefly i, I don't want to um, talk about
3: the bodyguard let's do it go for it.
2: Right? <laughs> well i know you don't but we have to and we will but i'm going to tell this very brief story uh basically what happened was um uh my my cousin directs she's all that it's a big hit it's a miramax movie and they're trying to get a musical up on its feet he also was the choreographer he chore- he did the choreography for jesus christ superstar he's canadian as you can imagine since i am uh norman jewison did that film and he did a bunch of films with norman jewison long story short he gets to do she's all that it's a big hit miramax is trying to get chicago up on its feet and they're like we would love you to direct chicago and he's like I will absolutely direct Chicago, but I'm just going to go do this little movie first called oh. From Justin to Kelly, and then that oh, was oh. the end of the road. So, you know, uh, these are the choices we make in our career. <laughs> that's, like,
1: that's like playing a volcano in downtown LA and thinking it would work out. So wild. It is. It is. Wild, yeah. okay.
2: But putting it actually in the middle of your career. Yeah. <laughs> With
1: no Tommy Lee Jones to rescue you,
2: with <laughs> no Tommy Lee Jones we're in, hash around, <laughs> and it's just it's just a disaster. Yeah,
4: okay.
2: But um, all this being said, um, to pivot us back to the film that we're talking about oh, today, yeah. Emily, the movie that you love, you know, stop pretending you don't love it. Um, I, I the, the the reason I brought up the Whitney Houston of it all is because I think she's actually very good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think she has really good timing. I think she's just good. She's bringing gravity to a pretty crappy script i think yeah. he's doing a good job i've never seen waiting to exhale has anyone <gasps> seen waiting to exhale on here
6: oh,
3: yeah. like, God, yes, i guess course. i've watched
6: every whitney houston I've movie seen, i didn't yeah. realize
3: uh, i've seen that movie phil i've seen waiting to uh, exhale how have i seen it i don't know but i have it's very it's good. A
4: good very good yeah it yeah. is okay, yeah. okay.
3: Yeah. and that soundtrack uh, granted i haven't listened to the body soundtrack at all i'm just going to say that soundtrack's better though <laughs> Although I, really, I like the I like the Whitney songs from Bodyguard Soundtrack, but I went and okay. looked at the track listing. There's a bunch of other shit on there. And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. I know I like the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack. I don't know.
2: <laughs> it's a really great way to tee up our episode on the Bodyguard Soundtrack. Well, the
3: thing is I haven't listened to it, and that's the premise of the show. Yeah, so
5: come, Coming like a few days after this episode. So check that out
3: on our show.
2: It's going to be great.
5: I think it's going to be great. I have not listened to it in, to
2: completion as well. Like, I've, not, I've only heard the Whitney songs here and there. So, you know, I will listen. I will press play and listen to the entire thing before we do our podcast. But you know.
5: Well, like, can I, like, uh, when we're talking, since we're talking about Whitney, like, could I, yeah. like, uh, present, like, a t- take I'm gestating. It's not quite cooked yet. But, like, sure. I feel like Whitney, like, you're talking about her appeal and how her screen presence really works. Like she is kind of proto Beyonce and proto Taylor at the same time a little bit like proto Beyonce and like the very superficial reasons, you know, the race and gender thing. But also Beyonce and Whitney have this unknowable mystique to them. Like and then to borrow Emily's point about Taylor, um, she they're like Taylor and Whitney both peddle intimacy as if she's your friend. But also like comes off like an alien who's never interacted like with a human being ever in her life, you know. Like that's Emily's <laughs> point, and like about Taylor, and yeah. they both. So it's like really compelling to watch, but there's also this unknowable quality to them too. It's like it's really. So there's like she's acting as herself, but not herself at yeah. the same time. It's yeah. really fascinating. I
3: was thinking about if you were going to remake this movie now, who you would remake. Which they the are. With. I, I know mm-hmm. but like if you were like actually going to remake it and not just like put it on fucking paramount plus or whatever they're going to do with it hmm. they but did they
5: do like um uh what's it called beyond the lights that oh, movie is yeah. this that's movie crazy. with social yeah. realism that's and crazy. actual takes on that's race one and my, that's one of and my, stuff. my favorite yeah.
3: favorite movies is that okay. whatever year that was um i uh but yeah if you were going to make this now you'd almost have to do it with like taylor swift Addison or Beyonce. Ray and like oh, addison ray oh, interesting taylor swift is, <laughs> yes addison, addison is ray obviously or charlie yeah, d'amelio charlie yeah. d'amelio <laughs> would be the person you want no well, i uh i mean like taylor swift can't act uh and no. uh beyonce's range is limited beyonce's fine but like i don't know that you know the thing
5: about, i don't think she could do it now like it, she could probably do it earlier. About career. yeah the yeah. thing about
3: whitney houston doing this at this point in time is it is kind of a surprise that she's not a surprise but it's like her first role and everybody's waiting for pop stars to bomb when they make a movie and sure. she's comes in she's glitter anybody yeah yeah <laughs> i mean that's a classic but let's let's not stay on that um <laughs> i've actually <laughs> never seen it uh but uh but yeah so i think i think she comes in and she's pretty good and people are like hell yeah good for you and like it's so easy for a pop star to come in and just bomb on their first movie um mm-hmm. and uh yeah she uh she kind of nails it, but she's also kind of playing herself, to Andrew's point, which I think helps. Yeah.
2: I think that, first of all, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And I, and I also feel like Hollywood always has its knives sharpened for any musician that's trying to be an actor. It feels as though they don't want them to succeed. Like, stay in your fucking lane unless you're going to be incredible. And then it's undeniable and we have no choice but to welcome you in with open arms. Ala a Lady Gaga or something along those lines, where they feel as though it's sort of like, okay, well, I guess, sure. Um, I don't know what the sort of landscape was like when Whitney was doing this in '92, but my guess is that they were not
1: thrilled. They gave her seven
5: ra- They gave the movie and her like Razzies, you know? Yeah. Right,
1: right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. Which Emily, I, also... I didn't know you were giving out Razzies back then, so that's awesome <laughs> that's... that you. <laughs>
3: i did i i was i'm actually on the board you were of the, the president Razzies. back then I, yeah. the president. Yeah. I that's why you know at the time i did i did change my last name i used to be emily Razzie, and uh that <laughs> right
2: but you just made your your daughter's middle name yeah my yeah, daughter yeah my, my, da- yeah, my yeah.
3: daughter's name my daughter's name golden raspberry saint james
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, no i actually put that on the wiki that's what we'll call her from now on that golden is- raspberry, <laughs> golden <laughs> raspberry. Um, uh no the uh, i i think I don't like this movie, but I think I I hate the Razzies on principle. And I looked at the things they nominated and I was like, those are all like, I don't know. I don't know why you're doing this. The thing that's wrong with this movie is the director. He just doesn't quite understand the material and the Mm -hmm. script is a mess. And you can never overcome those two things when you're making a movie. But all the people in it are doing a good job. And there's like some good songs and like sure. occasionally the camera points at the right thing and shoots it in the exact right way yeah. that you'd like and you're like I can it's see things yeah. and occasionally but yeah it's, it's sort of indifferently filmed and it just can't overcome
4: <laughs> so, I, and, I, and there think,
2: were a couple other people that were put in the conversation I know that you know Kevin Costner had you know blocked his sights on Whitney Houston but there were other people that were considered uh Pat Benatar Olivia Newton-John uh-huh. Madonna uh, Debbie Harry, Jones Jett, and Janet Jackson. Um, of
3: those, of that group, Madonna could work, Janet Jackson could work. I think the others are just yeah. like they're just not big enough, you know.
2: I, yeah. I fully agree. Madonna apparently, uh, Kevin Coster wouldn't even meet with her <laughs> because she had a joke at his expense in Madonna Truth or Dare, and he was like, Fuck <laughs> So, uh, interesting. I mean, I don't know what the Madonna version of this is in '92 because she's in her erotica phase and it's like i'm sure she would have been it just i I think it would have been a completely just a she would have swallowed the entire picture like it's not a lawrence casden script anymore like it just would have turned into an entirely i think an entirely Mm -hmm. different thing but to your point emily that thing could have worked not to the same extent um i i want to bring something up that i i don't quite know the answer to because i wasn't paying attention to these things in in 1992 and unfortunately a lot of people weren't but this is an interracial couple um, mm-hmm. in 92. And, you know, I imagine that was unfortunately probably a pretty big deal in 92. And yet, I imagine that's part of the secret sauce of the success of this film. I'm curious what you guys think about
3: that. I do, I do try and research contemporary writing about it. And to the extent that I did, I found a few things written about it, but it was always just sort of in a passing, like Hollywood is getting more okay interracial right. love on screen it was like it was like articles about that i couldn't find like there was anybody like upset about this so that there was controversy right there you know there may have been that the, like the 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 uh monoculture sort of kept terrible people mm-hmm. from getting the mic sure. in the way that we see right now um but uh i did notice as i was looking for through the ta- the tags of this movie on imdb the mm-hmm. top like five or six are all like specifically about interracial love story or like and like so that's like mm-hmm. user generated things that they're mm-hmm. saying i'm putting this in my list of whatever that comes up all the time so it is it is interesting i do think there's something in in that driving i mean obviously the primary driver of success is has two of the biggest stars in the world at that time and they're falling in sure. love but sure. there is something to that i think
1: yeah I and mean, <laughs> they never really play into it right like 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 there was never a point where you know whitney or any of her team was like oh this white bodyguard is going to come and protect me like what does he know about protecting a black superstar and then there was never a point where kevin kosh is like oh my god i'm falling in love with this black superstar (laughs) you know they they never they never really played into it at any point is as if race didn't really matter and it's interesting when you say all the lists of names that were considered like they were not all black superstar singers right so yeah. so i don't think that was actually a consideration in making the movie i think i think i i was thinking about the taylor comparison because taylor's concert um movie was so big because it gave people a chance to first see her that like, couldn't go see her live but also it gave people an audience a chance to get together and sing the songs and i think back mm-hmm. in 19- 1992 I mean, you didn't have Twitter or Instagram or any of that kind of stuff. So the way you congregated was in church or at the movies. And this gave people a chance to congregate and sing along to Whitney. And so I think that the race part wasn't as important as the music was. And Whitney at that point was already arguably the biggest singer of her generation. So that vehicle of getting her voice versus understanding the racial part of who that voice is, uh, I think really played harder than anything else.
5: Two, two points of that. Like, first of all, thank God there wasn't Twitter when Whitney was famous, because there would have been like, Gitler, Gitney, like, Gitney, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like, tweets about, like, speculating about her sexuality and stuff like that. But it's also like, um, I watched the behind the scenes of this movie, and the, they, the writer, Lawrence Kasdan, was like, why is there no, like, we, yeah, like we didn't add like a line, of pointing it out the interracial uh, quality of the relationship? Because uh, one, we just weren't equipped to do it. Sec- second of all, like um, they kept they just they kept like dancing around it. Like her hmm. her her racist star. Like that's a line they say in the behind the scenes uh, thing. And it's but then it also like leaks out in weird ways like we're just not going to talk about we're not going to talk about and then there's that weird line about the black show for for yeah, like, yeah, like, you know, like it's such an odd line. And, you know, it's like it's very strange. And- yeah, I, I I think I took more
2: umbrage with the relationship that he had with the young <laughs>
4: yeah. uh,
2: black guy than I did with his relationship with Whitney, it, 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 because it it I just the whole like taking this young black man under his wing and tutelage and I, I just all that just felt very kind of like tropey and awful, but like very reminiscent.
3: The nineties is also really the height of this era. Well, actually, I shouldn't say the height because the height is like specifically the six months after we elected Barack Obama. But like that's the height of people being like America has solved race and we're over it and we're fine. And like, obviously, we hadn't. The 90s have so many terrible racist things that happen. America has so many fucking problems. But the 90s are this time when you make a movie like this and then you act like not talking about it at all in the press is like kind of a bold move. And Mm. to be clear, it is a little bit. But also like you know you, you you could have like Lawrence casting you could have like talked to somebody and like you know yeah. done the research i don't know it's
2: it, it it is strange i mean it seems to me as though what what we have perceived from 2023 is they didn't talk about it they 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 just pretended quote unquote as though it was just normal like this is fine no big deal whatever yeah. which i think we perceive as courageous when really it was probably just kind of laziness and kind of not wanting to step on any landmines yeah so it's kind of hard to kind of give them their flowers for it but at the same time sure i I mean it's very
1: strange it's (laughs) a weird kind of situation maybe they read their own script and thought man we can't even write this movie about a bodyguard imagine if you try putting like race into the conversation like it'd be like Kevin across her see witty houston for the first time and be like oh you're black you know like like it'd be that type of writing you know what i mean so oh. i think the i think in hindsight they were brilliant in staying away from race and just Agreed. making the most confusing weird script <laughs> plot twists of all time but with a killer soundtrack you know it's you know it's funny before we get into the plot of this i do
2: just want to bring up something that I can't even I don't even know if this is an urban legend at this point, but because I just don't know how much credence to give this. But apparently Kevin Costner contacted Princess Diana about a sequel. Um, she apparently agreed to this sequel. There was apparently a script <laughs> written and it arrived the day before her death oh, in 97.
3: This is like how. <laughs> This is like how no this is like how Eric Roth started writing Forrest Gump to the on September tenth, two thousand one, and you are like, okay, <laughs> it's exactly, right. it's exactly uh, the same I, thing. I yeah. Kevin Costner has said this in interviews. That so like that's that's where it comes from. I know, however, that Kevin Costner sometimes just says shit. You know, he's one actors. of those actors, and so like he's people a liberal like,
2: Iowa Dad. Yeah. You know, yeah. he says things. <laughs> he's like
3: trying to manifest a thing into being where nobody can call him on it and like i don't i don't give it a lot of credence i cannot imagine that princess diana was going to make
2: a sequel I mean, it's it's crazy on so many levels.
3: It's crazy it comes up because... in the Crown season six.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's crazy for so many reasons. The penultimate like, episode. It of better the be Crown. In, in in the second part of the sixth season, like at the very uh, beginning. It's like, they're like, and she was gonna do a. It just scene.
3: just like I, you could just like they should end an episode. With like princess die goes home she's like i'm up to go to the shower i'm going to use the bathroom which we call the loo because it's britain and then <laughs> and then like the door uh, the door like like it's like there's a messenger and he sure. lays a package on and <laughs> dolly in and it says the bodyguard two. and then like you know candle in the wind 97 starts playing because you know she's about to die cut to credits this is why i'm a working screenwriter so (laughs)
2: yeah so by the way i've just i have literally just watched the last episode of the first part of season six uh last night so i can i can say that that doesn't happen but
3: missed opportunity
2: it is a huge missed opportunity i i only bring this up because this does feel like fan fiction inside kevin costner's head and i guess my question is what makes him think that anyone wants to see that movie Princess Diana had never acted, had never shown any interest in acting. There was no possible way that she would want to make this movie. On top of the fact that he's a bad bodyguard, if this movie's <laughs> proven anything, he's inept at this. So the idea that anybody else would want to hire him let alone, you know, the ex-Princess of Wales, I just find the whole thing just really absurd. And then to your point, Emily, it almost feels like him saying, yeah, and the script showed up the day before she died. All feels so concocted. It just feels crazy. Yeah.
3: Mm. I mean, I wrote a movie uh, for Gregory Peck, and it showed up the day before he died. And uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, you can never prove it. It was... Uh, mm-hmm. what, 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 what Cape what? Fear 2? It was Cape Fear 2. <laughs> <laughs> more, more fear, more Cape. <laughs> more fear, more Cape. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, you really I just need to uh, yeah. so two, two, two minutes like yeah. Back. yeah.
3: Okay. There's
2: never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
0: Plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify. absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated wow did we just write an ad yes
1: Bombas big comfort for everyone go to Bombas dot com slash Acast and use code Acast for 20% off your first purchase
4: <laughs> well, are you
2: so, Emily cool. have you not watched have you watched any of the crown uh, final season
3: no I haven't watched the crown since season two oh.
2: really?
3: I watched like the first several of season two and i was like this is good and i never need to watch more like i'm not i'm not anti-crown i'm just like i i got the taste of it and i was like okay and then like people were not so hot on season three so i was like well i don't need to come back season four of course won all the emmys uh i watched actually watched a couple episodes of that libby emma corin is fantastic yeah and uh then i just was like i don't need to come back you know so you know i have a a weird history
2: with the show as well um my roommate is a Fucking hardcore crown person.
3: That's weird. Because and... you're from Canada where you're ruled by the Queen, is my understanding. Uh,
2: uh, it's uh, the, the king. king. It. It's it's the king. Well, I mean, at the oh, time, yeah. You, yeah. when
3: you were yeah. living there, you were ruled by the queen. Now it's
2: true, yeah. it's true. Um, I'll I'll just say this uh very quickly uh before we get back to the, to the actual podcast. But I'll just say that uh my, my roommate's very much into the crown. Um the show drops, season one drops, she unhinges her jaw and watches the whole thing in like, you know, 12 hours or whatever it was. And She's like, you have to watch this. You have to watch this. I was like, I'm just, I don't fucking care. I don't care about the Royals. Like, I don't care. Mm. And then for whatever reason, I eventually watch and I'm like, fuck, this is actually a good show. So I watch all of season one, then season two drops. And again, I'm sort of like, I don't really care. And she's like, why aren't you watching this show? She eventually, I watch season two, I'm like, this show's really good. Then season three drops, to your point, Emily, everyone's like kind of come see, come saw, and they're sort of like it's not that great. My roommate's like, yeah, it's not that great. I'm like, okay, great. I'm done. I don't have to watch The Crown anymore. But then season four is coming, and I'm like, but it's Princess Diana, so I should probably watch season three. And there's some great episodes in season three, but it is kind of a mixed bag. Four is great, five's a mess, six has been bumpy. So we'll see. But that is my story about The Crown. Um, to talk about the bodyguard back to the bodyguard um we're We're gonna talk like dying to like give this movie our flowers so like yeah we're all really i know i know but i do feel like we do need to hit some stuff about it but um we're gonna talk about the soundtrack on your podcast but i do just want to say as of 2015 over 37 million albums sold the film has the best-selling soundtrack of all time saturday night fever is second with 10 million fewer albums sold um that's how big the gap is like this thing fucking ran the it's just it's absolutely insane
3: Uh, um what can i ask i assume on on your show we'll talk a lot more about like your favorite soundtracks of all time i want to ask on our show Mm -hmm. what's a movie where you like the sound you love the soundtrack you can't remember the movie at all like the soundtrack Mm -hmm. is like a thing that you just like can't that's a good question mm-hmm. my like my answer for a long time was dumb and dumber although i loved that movie but like the soundtrack was huge for me and like mm-hmm. i just listened to it over and over and over again similarly the boss lerman uh romeo and juliet again loved the movie but like the soundtrack for like two years of my teens was like all i listened to but i don't think those are good answers because i do like both those movies
2: yeah it's tough because mm. like Generally oh, speaking... Oh, it's I'm... Jam.
3: Okay, go ahead. Space oh, yes. That's
2: good. a good That's one. That's a good
5: one. That's actually a good answer. Because I'm not really drawn
2: to a soundtrack unless I like the movie. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. Especially with, like, a movie like this, where I listen to I Will Always Love You, and I think, ah, oh, yes, Frank Farmer. <laughs> 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 so I, <laughs> I do for...
2: The needle drop of I will always love you happens technically twice in this movie. The first is there's like a honky tonk version that they slow dance to, which is cute. Um and then chemistry. Chemistry. <laughs> I do like Sorry. that see. That's the chemistry. Yeah. And then the obviously the big one is she stops a plane from taking off. Maybe. She runs off of her private jet. No. This it's it and and they and snob. she runs into his arms. They have this amazing kiss while the camera spins around them. Mm. And I gotta be honest, it fucking works. It shouldn't work, oh, it's, but it's it the works. the song.
3: The song makes it work. Yes. like
2: yes. I know, but it's also the, the moment not, is what makes I'm it work, like too. I'm not saying,
3: like, obviously the song exists and all oh, of that. like sure. it, it does work. I'm just like, I think that you could put literally anything under that song and it would work. Like other people Mm. have done it. And you're like, yep, works every time. (laughs) Are you you at all familiar with the Dolly Parton version? Because.
5: Oh yes. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I like came in uh, when I saw like the trailer or whatever for this movie, like I was like, that's Dolly Parton. That's a Dolly Parton song. And I was like, and then of course it became huge. And I I was like, but uh, yeah, I, I like, I think. Most people and rightly so associate the song with Whitney Houston because her version is the peerless classic. But like, yeah, there's some I remember like the like Dolly Parton, like apparently like signed the rights over and was just like, whatever, and then like heard it on the radio one day and was like, Is that my song? This is really good.
2: <laughs> yeah, she literally had to pull over. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I heard this and I was like, Jesus Christ, you just fucking like lapped me. Like this is this is a I mean, you're not wrong, Emily, that this song works under really any circumstances. But this movie does weaponize it pretty perfectly in terms it, of that moment. You
3: could put it under a scene of Jeff and the Dean in Community, and it would work. Like,
5: <laughs> I think it was, wasn't it? I think so, yeah.
1: But anyways, but I, I do cool want to say, like, say like, yeah, sorry, go Princess Di
5: Diana. in the crowd like reading the
3: Bodyguard 2 <laughs> <shoe> script. <laughs> yeah. body. Stanley, go ahead.
1: That's 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 exactly what happened. R.I.P. <laughs> Diana, we miss you. We miss um, you. I, th- I think what's cool, too, is that uh, rewatching it, you're waiting for that moment. Yeah, you know, like like as as cheesy as some parts were and as badly written as it was, you still know you have this payoff moment that's coming at the end of this movie. So no matter how enjoyable or not enjoyable the rewatch was, you you always you will always love the ending because you will always have this song and that moment, like Winnie fucking Houston stops it playing, you know, like. Yeah. Like only Whitney Houston in 1992 can stop a plane. You know, not even Taylor Swift can do this in 2023. You know, like <laughs> yeah, that, you just, that's just that those keep going. <laughs> they, yeah. keep going. Yeah. They, they have to get to Brazil or wherever else she's performing. So, so it's it was super cool to rewatch that moment and know the buildup and still feel something. Uh, uh, in that moment, if, you know,
3: if Taylor Sw- no, totally. if, if Taylor Swift made this movie, she would be on the plane and she would be like, "Stop the plane, but actually run the engines faster so we do more <laughs> CO two emissions." <Sorry.
1: laughs> wow! I thought she was yeah. your best friend. Anyway. I love Taylor
3: Swift, and we are indeed best friends. But she probably needs to rethink her uh, jet fuel consumption. <laughs> uh,
2: mm-hmm. Well, I was gonna, there were two things I was going to say. The first is there's an amazing <laughs> bit of behind the scenes trivia about this. Scene in this shot, which is that when they're doing the shot around them, that the centrifugal force was so extreme it threw the camera operator Whoa. off of the camera. They were doing it so quick. Oh, <laughs> and that was God. the take they used. Like this guy just bit, like, <laughs> thrown off the camera, which I think is fucking incredible. And I wish that there were footage of that. Um, but so the second funny. thing I was going to say is this is when the movie ends. Right now, in this kiss, I do not need to see her on a stage singing it, and I sure as fuck don't need to see him behind some fucking bishop holding a cross, and then a freeze frame. What the fuck are they doing? They're yeah. teasing the, body, no,
3: they're teasing no, the bodyguard it. expanded universe, which also includes the bishop's <laughs> wife, but actually they had to change it to the preacher's wife. The so. preacher's wife. That's right. and, just, and the Hitman's just, bodyguard, that movie too. Like was just I mean, yeah. yeah.
2: gobsmacked yeah. by I got gobsmacked by it. I was like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm, Why yeah. do I give a fuck that he's now a bodyguard for some... Like, what?
5: And it also, Ugh. like, undercuts... Like, I feel like what this movie... does. What I like about this movie is it's yes. like a re- metaphor for a relationship in that mm-hmm. a bodyguard would be appealing to someone who doesn't really have anything to live for. In exchange, you get a nice sa- salary to buy as many much orange juice and samurai slippers <laughs> as
4: you <he> want.
1: <laughs> you know? So, but if you... <laughs> Oh, God, the orange juice. Because that's Tell all he me. cares about it's orange juice <laughs> yeah. and samurai sauce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but if you,
2: and,
5: and Kurosawa, like watching those movies 62 times. Sure. But if you love someone, you have someone to live for, you have someone you would die for, and they would die for you. And your job is to provide security and safety. And it's also like dysregulating when that security is threatened. So when he when the movie ends and he's a bodyguard still to someone else, it's like oh he didn't learn anything. Who cares? You know, it's like it's really like I don't know. He does he doesn't really learn shit in this movie. He's like he you think he'd be more sensitive and more like caring and loving now that he's like found love, but he's like really just like dealing with this in like a very toxic masculine way. And it's like really like I can't root for this guy. My
3: my strong preference in romantic love dramas is that the couple is not together at the end i think that the tragedy of a love that is lost is kind of like a really great like my one of my 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 favorite movies is portrait of a lady on fire like that that ending to me is perfect Mm -hmm. and like uh this is just because i'm a bummer even though i've been married for fucking forever i just am like love doesn't work nobody should try it um the uh cool but uh yeah, I don't know why they're not together at the end of this movie. It makes no sense that they're not. Sense. And the movie would be stronger if, if she stopped the plane and ran off and was like, I'm going to be with you. And then she's singing and she's pointing at him in the crowd. And he's like, it's yeah. me, I'm the bodyguard. Yeah. And like, yeah.
6: cut credits. It's our
3: song, yeah. Oh. yeah. So it ends on a freeze frame of Kevin <laughs> Costner's face out of focus yeah. over a guy's <laughs> shoulder. Yeah.
2: It's a crazy <laughs> ending. Love and it. Not to mention the fact that her the shot of Whitney is a like a, a tight on her face as she's singing it from god knows where we don't even have any context for it it, it truly felt like they didn't know not even how to end the movie but like what footage they <laughs> yeah had, yeah mm. use to end this movie with it, it is it's pretty unbelievable I also think like just to kind of jump through some of the plot here, I mean, this movie opens with Frank having gunned down a bunch of people. Like the the title card is he's shot a whole bunch of people. We don't really know the circumstances. Uh, we never find out the circumstances. He's offered to be this guy's uh, permanent bodyguard, and he's like, "No, no, no, I am not interested." That's the other thing too. He's like this kind of like lone wolf. Mm-hmm. And I just i don't i don't really know what Frank's deal is. Um, it's very strange
3: sure so what when, <laughs> when he's brought to this to, linkedin to... looks like? It's like the bodyguard that's like his title and then it's just like um, i was a bodyguard for the following people i'm gonna go bug him on linkedin right now continue talking Paul.
2: do it uh so basically he's he goes to whitney's house um her manager is asking him to be her permanent bodyguard he walks him around okay i don't understand the intercom bit It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why her intercom for her house doesn't work, but okay. Uh, He very easily gets into the house because there's clearly no security of this massively successful person. They walk him around the house. They tell him that someone broke in and masturbated on her bed, which is a no-no. And yet apparently no one seems to be particularly upset about it or worried about it. Um, there's a bunch of ransom notes. There's a sequence where, <laughs> where I see the stalker is watching like entertainment tonight or something and making uh, ransom notes.
5: Like he's the Riddler or something. Yeah, it, it, It's or the, or the, it, the vile serial killer, the snowman. Or yes. Or the Zodiac killer.
3: Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's,
5: it's,
2: yeah. has
3: anybody seen the, the satoshi khan movie perfect blue which literally yes. does that yes. sequence like shot for yes. shot i think but like you're like perfect blue it's it somehow makes more sense i don't know mm-hmm. like
2: no it makes awesome and then and then aronofsky rips off perfect blue for black swan you mm-hmm. like literally there are frames that he literally ripped off
0: in black swan
2: who knew that the bodyguard actually influenced perfect blue and black swan <laughs> I mean it's getting better and uh, better.
1: This movie is getting it's, better it and it
2: is. Better. I mean it's going up. Uh we then see there there's a there's a pan shot, and I don't know if you guys clocked this, and maybe this is me reading too much into this, as Lawrence Kasdan said, dense text. Mm-hmm. But there's a shot where, where <laughs> we see uh the metropolis robot from the from the uh the Fritz Lang movie. Okay which looks decidedly similar to the metal outfit that Whitney wears when mm. she's doing that concert. And I'm trying in my brain to understand if these two things are actually connected or if Mick Jackson was just like, I like Metropolis. <laughs> like I, I just, maybe I'm reading uh, the too The thing
3: about all of the movies at the Oscars at the end of this is that they you can't like <laughs> their titles or stuff. Queen of the night appears to be a, <laughs> like a, a Rachel Mallon. Rachel Mallon like it appears to be a concert movie about her but somehow she wins Best Mm -hmm. Actress so you know there's like (laughs) stuff so maybe it's a musical version of Metropolis in my brain that is what it Yeah, is
2: I'm in I mean that being said I just found myself just
5: being like I don't really know what this connection is but fine Um, by the way that metal like body plate she wears is like a bodyguard so that's pretty interesting (laughs)
2: oh yeah <laughs> no, it is <laughs> i that whole concert um i don't riot i guess or whatever sort of transpires yeah i'm not a bodyguard i don't really know anything about security really? but i can tell you that's not a secure concert venue that is not <laughs> yeah, a good it's idea
3: like, there is it's like this thing where like when you are a star at that level and you have these enormous concerts, it's like virtually impossible to make them 100% safe. So of it is always it is. amazing to me how many concerts we have of that size on this planet across like the last 50 years mm-hmm. or whatever. And like sure. the number that have descended into chaos is very small and they're all like legendary. It's kind of wild if you think about it, that this doesn't it happen is. all the time. I don't know.
2: Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're absolutely right. There, I mean, it that scene in this did make me think about how susceptible a lot of these artists are to situations like this um but more so than anything how susceptible rachel is to this because she has no competent security team she's got one guy named tony who i who i recognize the actor from dumb and dumber and goodfellas and he's always fun He doesn't seem like a guy who really knows what he's doing. Uh, She's got a manager who's trying to keep her safe and a PR guy who's literally willing to throw her into oncoming traffic if it means that, you know, it'll sell. Um, It's a very strange, this movie has one thing it has to do as far as I'm concerned, which is um, uh, be good bodyguards. Be competent at bodyguarding. Um, And yet it fails at that
1: one mission as far as i'm and, concerned and you know i could what? never in, shake. in in bodyguards because i always like to defend people so in the bodyguards defense whitney did give the old like no you shall she not did. pass like she did to her like bodyguards to yeah. her bodyguard as more bodies are getting on stage <laughs> and he's like can i guard yours and she's like no <laughs> no no and then she does ah!
2: do
4: that
1: I... And then she's pulled in, like, they're orcs or something. Yeah, yeah. and then Kevin Costner, he showed off, because he's just like, oh, okay, I'm going to pick you up and use my legs of steel to yeah. knock people off you. I mean, that was that, that was hot. bodyguarding 101. That,
3: as as a sometimes straight woman, that's fucking hot. As, as, <laughs> that
1: was...
5: Well, the poster that's with, a... like, him carrying her is really hot, too. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
6: Yeah, Let's I was just, just going to uh, say that, like, I, I feel also so they do establish that he doesn't work with celebrities usually. Like, he usually works with like politicians or I think like uh,
4: or, <laughs> or bishops. Yeah. Um,
6: yep. And I, you know, I do think there is like a totally different um, set of skills you probably are like uh, things to assess, like threats, sure. potential threats when you're working with a pop star. Cause mm-hmm. you do. So you do need to balance like letting them do their jobs, which are like, you know, involve other people like performing, being very visible and public, you know, that is part part of the job of being a pop star. But you need to balance that with security. And if he's never done that before, I feel like he probably doesn't know exactly where that where that balance lies. Yeah. Um,
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, that sounds right. I, 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 you know, Andrew, you brought up the poster. And there is a little bit of trivia on this poster, which is that is not Whitney Houston on the poster um the person that he they basically were doing the photo shoot for the poster after whitney had to go back to either touring or recording or what have you so if you look at the poster it's it's literally a woman who's covering her face and her head behind (laughs) him so you can't actually not to mention the fact that whitney never wears an outfit like this in the film either uh but you know just goes to show that you know people don't really care about such things um Emily, do you know the tagline to the bodyguard by any chance? I
3: that? That look. I was know? looking at it last night. I cannot recite it off, offhand, but it's very long. Never, it's like uh, never let her down or something. It's never,
2: never let her out of your sight. Never let your guard oh, down. Oh yeah, never fall never in love. Never fall in love. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, three
5: the,
2: rides, about, the
1: three rules. Yes. The the rules. Also, this, three rules. The thing about the rules of Jedi is, what well, well,
2: if there
3: was a
5: bodyguard? That's to be. A, that I is, like. I'm
3: com- I'm coming around on this. The thing about this movie is that everything about it is good. But the movie. And like I can't like like the the poster, that tagline, like, you know, just like the whole but it really feels like, and I said this in my letterbox, it really feels like the soundtrack album came first, and it was such a hit that they were like, we gotta release some DLC for this. So they made a movie and we're like, we're gonna release this movie as like an add-on to the soundtrack, and they kind of just you know, afterthought.
1: Well, Emily, you gotta look past the movie then. Like you gotta you, you are admitting that you love this movie so much. It's just that you're so hung up on the movie part that you can't express how much you love it. Just exactly. forget <laughs> about the movie and express how great this movie is. Yeah. Minus <laughs> the movie. I'm yeah. really, so really I, coming around. Yes. I I wanna kind of unpack a
2: little bit of what you were just saying, Emily, because it's worth noting. The soundtrack comes out on November 17th, 1992. The movie comes out on November twenty-fifth. So this was oh, not wow. a soundtrack that that was released way before the movie. My assumption is that the sing the first single, obviously, was "I Will Always Love You," and it was released on November second. So, I, like, I, to knew-
3: be clear, I'm I'm joking. I yeah. know they made the soundtrack for this movie, but like, sure, it does really feel like this movie exists to prop up the soundtrack in such a weird right. way. And like, mm-hmm. obviously, they fed into each other, but like, yeah. the 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 songs are so just elemental and again I, I, I didn't know uh, most of them <laughs> but you hear them and you're like oh this is a song that has always been and will always be and then you watch the movie and there's a guy with a gun shaped like a camera <laughs>
2: oh we're going to talk <laughs> I mean, about the we camera we have to yes okay. we will talk okay. about that but I, I just very quickly there were six singles off of this soundtrack wow. okay so uh-huh. we're talking about like a year's worth of singles crazy um but yes uh we'll talk about that in more depth on on your episode but i just it's worth noting that like this was ultimately a whitney houston album release and they had a single for whitney and that
1: but it was a these were
2: speaking to each other is basically what i'm
1: getting at they weren't so and that's that scene again like i think that scene is very uh purposeful in that it establishes two things like it gives Mm -hmm. a chance for us the audience to recognize if we didn't know back in 92 this is the she is the top of the echelon right this is winnie houston who no matter where she goes she causes such a hoopla that people are willing to go on stage and almost kill her because they love her so much right Mm -hmm. and then it also establishes that you know Kevin or Frank, Frank the farmer is like, man, I gotta let this crop grow. And the crop that she's trying <laughs> to grow is, what are we doing? is the love that he has for her. And also oh, sure, sure. her understanding that without him specifically, she's fucked. So, so laying all of this um, craziness happen on stage and in him kicking his way out of there when the other bodyguard, all he did was yell and lose the limo. Like yeah. it really establishes Frank as the only hope that Rachel has in moving forward and winning the Academy Award for Best Actress in this amazing movie that Queen of the Night. That's I mean, No, right? Like you, there's, there's a reason yeah. for
2: it. Yeah. I do agree with you that he's as a bodyguard trying to show how valuable he is. Um that being said, the scene that follows this is a scene where him and her other bodyguard just kind so of fight with, like, guys in a so, kitchen.
1: So good.
6: <laughs> but, like, my one note about that scene is just that men love to eat apples off the side of a knife.
1: Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's because we're dangerous. That's Actually, what. give me five minutes. I gotta go grab an apple and a knife. will be right back now.
2: <laughs> it is such a stupid scene <laughs> for so many reasons. But then later... He beats up some random guy in the yeah. kitchen. In and I'm just like, what the fuck is Kevin's problem with people in kitchens?
5: What <laughs> me? I,
3: if I had a bodyguard, I'd want him to beat up people in my kitchen. <laughs> like,
5: yes,
2: he's a Vietnam
5: bed, veteran, but he's only served in the kitchen. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: it's, it's triggering. I just, yeah. I truly just don't understand it. It, I, it I, is, I so I keep as I was watching this. I don't know if you were doing this, Emily. I assume to some degree you do it subconsciously like i do where like i'm i'm looking at the beats mm-hmm. i'm like looking at sort of the the not set pieces because there's not really that but like i, there's I, these I kind stopped of side trying at
3: some point but please continue no, I, <laughs> yeah.
2: as we all should because this movie doesn't doesn't warrant that type of thought <laughs> but but it is just i was watching it just being like so he's got a bunch of cards on a board and one of them says they fight in a kitchen and he's got another one where he's like, beats up guy in a kitchen. <laughs> and you're just like, at no point did Lawrence Kasdan just go like, I don't know, man. I'm not sure that we're really getting into what makes Frank tick.
3: I, uh, uh, I, uh, I've i uh, now broken episodes of television. And like, you you'll have. look at the cards and you'll be like, this is going to be so good. I imagine Kasdan looking at Frank bites a guy in a kitchen. And he's like, fuck.
1: <laughs> fuck yes. yeah. Do it. Yes, I it's, think. Yeah, I think we need to read this more as an action comedy than an action <laughs> romance. Because if you look at it as a comedy, it's fucking. It's a. It's a really like rewatching yeah. this. I I laughed so much because everything too. was so funny and it made it so enjoyable. Because you're like, really, after you saved. Rachel, your next play is to beat up her former bodyguard. And really, former bodyguard, you want to try to take on the guy who kickboxed literally everyone in a in a concert <laughs> hall when you can do a single thing. And then you double down and triple down. And then like was like, Oh, you're not that big that tough. You can't even throw a knife. And he bounces like the handle off of your freaking forehead. Like it's hilarious. It's so funny.
3: Yeah.
1: It this makes me wonder. Coming and I feel like I'm coming
3: around. I feel I'm like <laughs> <yes. laughs> Emily, I top like 10 we, on Emily's we have talk talked, about this.
2: <laughs> We've talked about this um i'm not sure if we talked about it on the 92 podcast but i think we talked about it on 90 on 99 but i i it's it's the idea of intent right mm-hmm. which yeah. is when you sit down and you, you you know you sit down to write a thing you sit down to direct a thing and it becomes unintentionally enjoyable to people in a way that you never intended right the, the perfect example would be the room right like he thought he was making a good movie but it's a obviously a laughably bad movie and we all love it and he kind of got on the bandwagon and turned it into what it is this movie is clearly undeniably earnest and trying very hard to be a thing which makes it that much more ridiculous Mm -hmm. i was i was talking to friends today who defend this movie and i was like guys it has a fucking camera gun (laughs) like you can't defend this movie it's undefensible indefensible Um, But I also wonder whether or not, like, is that, is that, Emily, you were a critic for many years. I was. Is that a viewer? Is that a thing that you, when you were doing your Mm -hmm. critic, when I was being a critic, do you think of, yeah, do you think about intent or do you think about your own enjoyment and what you got out of that movie?
3: Uh, it depends. Yes. Like, I think, I think, like, I think my experience of the movie as a viewer, as a critic, even as a person who might someday make a movie i think that ultimately my experience of watching the movie obviously if you make a movie like your experience of watching is you just see all the things in it that suck and you're gonna be like i wish this was better but like i think that these are things are made for the audience and like if the audience the people who love the bodyguard you know like if they had that experience of watching it and loving it and having just like a great time and enjoying themselves like that is not an inaccurate response. I think the role of the critic is then to pull out the elements of stuff, like, and I'm not like full death of the author. You know, I think that it is interesting to consider authorial intent, but like, um, yeah, I I I feel that it, if people love this movie because it's dumb, great, good, wonderful, perfect.
2: <laughs> I think that's where I land on it as well. I think enjoyment is enjoyment, like full stop right? Like, if, if if this art is giving you something, then that's the point of making art. And mm-hmm. I strenuously must say that I do not think this movie is art. That being said, I do think that it has artistic intent to some degree or another, and if it's allowing us to enjoy ourselves, then that's all that matters, In the right? course
3: of this conversation, the bodyguard has crossed over the not art-to-art art barrier for me. Oh, yeah, this, it
4: this has? I love when
2: we can pinpoint the moment that that happens for you, Um, What were you going to say, Harper?
6: As someone, so other than sports, my other top genre is going to be romance. So Mm. I'm a big um, romance novel reader, and I'm also a big um, uh, romance movie watcher. Um, And so for me, one thing that really stood out to me in this was like those specific romance tropes that they really hit hard. Like the second that, well, one, when they first meet eyes, gorgeous, love it.
4: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
6: Right. And it's, like, so established. Like, he's looking around the room, he's assessing threats, and then he sees her. You know? It's so good. <laughs> but the the really big one for me is I know as soon as they sleep together, he's let his guard down. The bodyguard himself has let his own guard down. <laughs> and it's, it makes it impossible for him to do his job, though, because that's his whole identity, is he is the best bodyguard. He makes $3,000 a week. Everyone wants him, you know? And... <laughs> Uh, you know, but he's very
5: expensive. Yeah. Even like... though
6: yeah, we've all talked though about how bad he is at his job, but the movie has established that he's the best. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he so... throws
3: two knives.
6: <laughs> <laughs> they go
3: nowhere. And he's like, Oh wait, I just I gotta throw these other three knives. They all perfect. Continue yes.
6: on. Yeah. Um, but you know, so but the fact that he now has feelings for her, and this is something that in there's like I mean bodyguard of ro- celebrity romance is a tr- is a, a subgenre you know and the moment when the bodyguard ha- has become vulnerable is is huge and they did that in such a good way and then you know the next morning when he has to when he says oh we can't do this anymore you know it's he has to because he has to do his job that's his core identity yeah, is, and is,
2: but how much it yeah. hurts her I know and how I, I mean I I really do think that it's it's funny because as you're outlining these like kind of tropey romantic you know moments i do feel like they kind of do a pretty good job of executing them it's i I, above average i wouldn't say that they knocked out of the park but like that scene in particular i think that whitney's sort of pain and her her how hurt she is by what he's saying is very real now I think Costner, if I'm being completely honest, I think he's actually pretty dull in this movie. I don't actually really think he's a particularly charismatic. He can be really charismatic, and I think he thinks he's playing steely when he's really just playing boring. Um, so I, I I get that, um, but it, it's just not playing particularly well. I think yeah. he's um, uh,
3: I think he's yeah. actively bad in this movie. Except now I think he's good. Wow, <laughs> yes. he's yes. an artist. That's
2: why you think he's good. Yes, he's so bad um, it's good. It, it's so I I. It's, it's just really weird because the more we talk about this movie, the more I'm just like so confused by it mm-hmm. more than anything. Like, was Mick Jackson in on it? Like, did he know he was making kind of a soapy, kind of I don't want to say campy, but like, did he think he was in it? I
4: think
3: he knew that this movie was a little bit silly. Like, he had yes. he okay. had to have. And like, I'm not like I don't think he thought he was making a comedy in the slightest. I think he did Mm -hmm. have like a serious element of like, I'm gonna make like a really good, meaty movie. But like, yeah, you know, it it, it's it's pretty clear that there's a lot of like ridiculous nonsense in this movie. And he had to have known. Mick, call us up.
1: I mean, if if you have a machine gun camera uh, at the kind of the pinnacle of your movie you know you know sorry camera gun thank you camera <laughs> gun, camera uh, camera gun you, you know you're making a comedy like like you clearly know that this is not going to be taken too seriously i don't know like, i feel like, it could be I like know, hey man. this is pretty sick what if a camera was gun? yeah and, <laughs> and hilarious sick at the best it's, hilarious at least right like it felt like a bond movie
6: Yes. I yeah, had to say like yeah. actually of my problems with this movie the camera gun was not on my list. Agreed. Like cuz it cuz no cuz you see him that's holding good. the camera and mm. you it, you know it pans over to him and you're like, "Oh, that's a man holding to a camera." And then you see the the laser point yes. and you're like, "Oh, it's a gun." Yeah, you know, I good. I was in the moment for that shock. It got yes. me. That's I don't good. know. We did. Yeah. It. <laughs> I,
5: well, I think like this movie is like, I think one of the issues of this movie is like the discordancy with the, like the tones yes. and like um Lawrence Kasdan doesn't seem to have a mastery of the tone. Like the director doesn't seem to have a mastery of the tone. And there's so many elements of this movie. There's the Whitney Houston stardom. There's a Kevin Costner dad movie. There's like, is this a romantic thing? Is it like kind of like they're playing with the romance tropes. It's like, I feel like if I'm just, like, an audience member in 1992, I'm, like, would be, like, tossed around and stuff. Of like, I want to see a Whitney Houston movie, but there's all this other stuff that's, like, there's the Silence of the Lambs sequence in the middle that's, like, kind of freaking me yeah, out, really, you know? I mean, but I also
2: wonder if that's kind of part of the secret sauce, which is that, like, A, there's quote-unquote something for everyone but also once like something's happening that you're kind Never of bored by me. then something else is happening that you're like well, what the fuck is this like how <laughs> is this happening I, but but if you think about it for five seconds which unfortunately we've been doing for much more than five seconds at this point you do find yourself like the point when the movie kind of lost me or when I stopped I guess caring about the plot it's maybe the most way, but kind way to put it they go to the woods to visit his dad because he wants to get uh Frank wants to get uh Jesus Christ, Rachel and her sister Nikki and her son Fletcher off the grid. Mm-hmm. So they go to the woods, wherever the fuck the woods is, think, oh, West Virginia. And uh we, we're kind of a little bit exposed to like what Frank's upbringing was maybe sort of kind of. Mm-hmm. The dad talks about how when the mom died, that meant that Frank couldn't be there to protect Reagan, and that's why he got shot. I, I can't can't make this shit up. Um, but that's and it it weighs on Frank. It's why he is the way he is, which is I don't, still don't really know what that means. We then like there's this scene where we realize yeah. that him and his dad have been playing a chess game for three years, <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> let me get this straight. You think this is scintillating to watch two old men? <laughs> Like think about a chess move for an hour. No. Anyway, it, it, it's absurd. Well, well you find out moment... that
6: Fletcher is a chess genius. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Bobby Fischer. We didn't know it, but he was. Um, but the moment that it tips for me is the Nikki review. Yes. So let me just exp- walk this out because there's a part of me that I don't think this makes any fucking sense. Makes Nikki, sense. this Nikki decides she wants to hire a hitman <laughs> to kill her sister out of jealousy. Yeah. Right. That part I get. But she does it because she's high or drunk and she goes to some club in Los Angeles where she finds a guy who's willing to help her hire a hitman.
3: As we've all done before. Uh As we've all done.
2: Uh (laughs) Yeah, based in our reality. But she hired said hitman after the stalker letters. So these are two separate incidences. We have a stalker who's writing letters, who might be dangerous, who's spoiler they don't think is dangerous and they just let go at the end of the movie so he's just out and about doing whatever don't things don't do, do it again and
6: he's still there at the oscars at the end he's a seat see... Oscars. <laughs> he's at the fucking like
2: he's at the fucking ambulance huh? so okay so that that happens so then we're led to believe that the people we should be really worried about is this organization quote-unquote that nikki hired to kill her sister who then walks into the house and guns her down Without even thinking about it, blows up a motorboat that I don't know how Kevin Costner knew was going to blow up. But he's he apparently- just that paranoid,
3: and it, he was right to be. <laughs> I believe that's the implication. Yeah. Yeah.
2: This is when the whole thing just goes off the fucking rails. for me Because now I'm just like, I don't know who I'm supposed to be afraid of. And I don't know why I'm supposed to care. Everyone.
3: And yeah. you're supposed to care because it's a dangerous world out there. And you could <laughs> die at any time. The bodyguard. How dare you defend like, this oh, movie now, in Emily? In the middle of this podcast. You're, is this episode coming out, out before or after our Memoirs of Invisible Man episode? Before okay, well, in that pod, in that episode, we talk a lot about the British film *Threads*, which is a we uh, do. which is a terrifying, dark vision of nuclear holocaust. Correct. Also your favorite, your directed by Mick Jackson. Oh no! This movie keeps going up. Oh, no. Bodyguard, <laughs> bodyguard, hive, assemble. <laughs> <And> <laughs> this is I... a <laughs> So
2: it's. I, I guess the reason I'm trying to bring this up is because. Nikki's plan her reasoning who she hired it's all so muddy for me yeah that I'm just like I don't I don't know which end is up but I I, you lost me
5: first of all like they set up the the stalker so effectively of like they show the shots of him like cutting up right. the note and like that's really scary and True. then also like in this movie there's a lot of screenwriter math where it's just like the, every little thing is like set up and then there's a punchline at the end of just True. like in the third act like the mm-hmm. I, I will always love you then they play it True. to the end and then like the little like um, the little cross thing they give her like and stuff like that yeah, so like, there's a, a lot a of that yeah the, the orange shoes, like runner of just like At the end, he like pours alcohol in his orange juice, and like, "Uh oh, that means he's changed. And so, so there's a lot of that. And then that reveals it's like, I don't know, I was high, I don't know, like I really wasn't (laughs) thinking about you.
2: Can I just, I want to stop you very quickly. Yeah, he gives her a cross because I just thought about this as you were talking. He gives her a cross that has a button in it that he says. You should press this if you ever feel like you're in danger. Yeah. That's your fucking job. You should know if I'm in danger, I shouldn't have to press a button. That's no. being a body. I, yeah. uh, I don't understand. I
3: grew up in the church and we all had crosses we could press if we were in yeah. danger, and Jesus would come down and save us. That's the <laughs> prime advantage of oh, you only get one. Jesus is like, I'll give you one. <laughs> but like, he's like Spider Man.
2: Emily, remember <laughs> yesterday when we discovered that Jesus was railroaded?
3: We did. We did. This, this, uh, oh, this, We're we, talking about Unforgiven. learned a lot about this um, podcast.
2: I love this podcast. But uh, we are now at your favorite part, Emily. We're at the Oscars.
3: So fucking good.
6: <laughs> I would watch a whole movie of Richard Schiff directing the Oscars.
3: Yeah. I, <laughs> Robert, Toby Wall, directs Robert the Oscars. Wall is there and he's like doing perfect Oscar jokes. Yeah. But, don't Aka hear, bad. You don't ones. hear the setups, but you hear them like I had. I wore an outfit like that in Miami, and you're like, "Fuck yeah, he nailed it."
5: <laughs> Robert Smigel wrote for those Oscars. Apparently, that's like a little trivia I found out. So. <laughs> do you, Emily?
2: Do you think it's plausible that in 1992, Robert Wall would have hosted the Oscars? Well, he's not Robert Wall.
3: He's playing somebody. He's playing yeah. some guy. Oh, it's like okay. all, this is an <laughs> alternate universe where no one we know is famous everyone who's famous has weird names <laughs>
2: it's, it's i was i was watching this thinking like are they doing like is this thinly veiled versions of other actors and it's not it's just a bunch of crazy names and movies that titles that don't even sound this like movies
3: is my favorite thing is when there's fake movie titles and they just sound like words and you're like the, <laughs> you're i recognize all of those words and i recognize them in like a sequence but that doesn't sound like it Hot or cold is a title. What is that movie about? It's about the Irish Potato famine.
2: <laughs>
3: okay, well, Best you know Picture, what all
2: of these titles all these titles made me think of and I've uh, never seen this film, so I'm not I'm not shitting on this movie, but Crimes of the Heart is one of those titles for me that feels like it could be applied to like any movie. Yeah, Because like, then they
3: had like places in the heart. You know, it's like yeah, it's all
2: yeah. yeah. all in the heart. It's all um, Debbie Reynolds has a great cameo. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
3: It's going up, up and up and up.
6: Yeah. I, I was so shocked by that line. It was
2: weird too. It was like Debbie Reynolds shows up to shit talk yeah. Rachel. <laughs> I, I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, so okay, <laughs> there's a moment when Frank yells at Tony and and tony says like where should i be I no, like, no. those guys over there what they don't need to be there that guy with the camera they don't need to be there and i'm like frank this is a telecast <laughs> these people actually do need to be in these places <laughs> you can't just randomly be yelling at people that are making the oscars happen
1: okay see this is my problem with right now okay on the one hand you all are saying oh frank isn't a good bodyguard he's not guarding uh rachel and now when he's trying to do his fucking job and clear the stage now all of a sudden you're, like, you're right oh, you you need him. Right. No, yo, you can't have your cake and eat it. <laughs> let Frank be Frank. Let the, the let it cook. be Frank. let the
3: farmer cook. Let the farmer uh, cook. Now, actually, when the Oscars won the Primetime Emmy at that year's yes. ceremony in the Bodyguard Universe, mm-hmm. Frank Farmer also won for directing. <laughs> it was him and Richard Schiff. <laughs> Also, so Richard Schiff is, doesn't,
5: isn't on the West Wing. He's just like an Oscar director in that universe, too. <laughs> Correct.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this Earth 2 version that we've created. <laughs> where yeah. this, is, this is the Oscars. But uh, so at this point, there's it's very strange because there's like a stutter step, which is that. Rachel is a presenter as well as a nominee, which, by the way, doesn't happen particularly often because the nominees generally are sitting in their fucking seat. I mean,
3: they they will do it, but it'll be like Meryl Streep comes out to present, like, editing at the start, and then she's in her right, seat she has for, lots of yeah. time. But also, yeah. this is a category that the film she's nominated for is also nominated for, and she didn't write the song. So technically, this is permissible by the Academy's rules. I'm glad Lawrence Kasdan did his research, but like, it's still very strange because yeah. like, yeah. you have to assume that that song is going to win because you hear the titles of the other right. songs they don't sound like songs that exist at all they sound like songs somebody made up for a movie but like right. <laughs> like if lady gaga
2: was presenting the best song for a star is born you'd just be like this doesn't make any sense because she's probably involved it's very strange but she presents the and she rachel goes on stage and we have what i think The director thinks it's a tension-filled sequence of her worried that there's all these people in the audience that are going to try to kill her. Um, And she panics and just flees the stage. And then she gets angry at Frank because he got in her head and he's freaked her out. I don't think we needed it, but whatever. Um, Question to go sort of uh, to, to, to everybody here. If you were trying to assassinate somebody Mm -hmm. i've done it (laughs) (laughs) no follow-ups the character Um, of this movie (laughs) why pick the fucking oscars (laughs) why like this is a this is a stupid venue to try to kill somebody
1: although why why did will smith smack chris rock at the oscars you know it's it's fair. Yeah, Everyone's it's fair. watching. It's
5: a good question. I mean, it's
1: everyone. If you have
5: watching. a camera gun, though. Like that's like the perfect end yes. to like, yeah. Yes. You, just say your entertainment tonight, and have a camera gun. This...
3: Until <laughs> John Tesh should have been the assassin.
5: He's
3: in this movie.
5: He, he can... is in this
2: movie. Wow. Um. So we're now at the camera gun,
3: mm-hmm.
4: yes. and I,
2: I want to just sort of preface this by saying that earlier in the film. We have a Ugh. moment when Frank crosses paths with an ex bodyguard named Portman. Classic. Mm. Um, and as is the case with movies like this, whenever another character, an extraneous character, is introduced, they're, they're probably going to have a point. They're probably going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank and Rachel start flirting. Not Frank, sorry. Portman and, and, and Rachel start flirting, and they have this Almost kind of rapey scene together, which is really gross and awful. Um, And we think that's the last we've seen of them, but it's not, because Frank is in fact the assassin that is going to try to. Frank is
3: not the assassin.
2: Sorry, Portman. Sorry,
3: Portman. I, you know what? I watched that scene. I was like, I bet he's the assassin, and I was right. (laughs) This movie. You watch that scene. The logic of this movie is impeccable, and it all holds up.
1: Steve, Emily, (laughs) airtight. So good. This is so great. I'm so proud right now. I'm so
2: happy. (laughs) So basically what happens is Frank realizes that Portman is there and he realizes that his camera is a gun. Uh, I mean, of course. And now when I say this to our (laughs) listeners who maybe have not seen the bodyguard, I'm going to just describe what is a video camera, which looks like a normal video camera. Got it. And a gun just stuck to the side of it with a fucking laser sight. So it's not as though it's hidden inside the camera and he's able to like pull it out and use it. It is directly attached to the camera, which would be very hard to use and not an effective tool. Because if you're looking through the lens of the camera, it's not actually where the gun is. So like, <laughs> this doesn't actually make any fucking sense. Well, but he also has laser. There's a he laser.
5: <laughs> there's the laser. He does have the laser,
2: but the laser...
1: He also has a
5: telecast, yes, you're right. He has lasers too. So he has another job to do. Also, yeah. <laughs> no notes. Yeah. Like he has a laser. Remember,
1: Nick, is- they only make three thousand a week if they're really good. This Portman <laughs> character is making maybe $500 a month. He's got to go to
5: my day job of filming
1: the
3: Oscars. <laughs> you yeah. the reason like Portman, you have to hire him on a, like a hitman app, and that's a problem for him because like the internet has not been invented yet. Yeah. So he's yes. just <laughs> sitting there staring at a brick. being like i hope this becomes a phone and i could get some work
2: (laughs) it is ridiculous you then Uh, have a slow of course you have a slow motion sequence where frank pieces it all together he dives in front of whitney um so he takes the bullet that i guess he would have done for reagan um and (laughs) uh he falls to the ground his blood splatters over the card that says her name for winning best actress um and which is just a beautiful thing her pr person picks up said card (laughs) and tries to wipe the blood off of it before putting
4: it into his
5: pocket this is just poetry it sounds good good. when you say it
4: out
3: loud here's the thing i'm i'm running into i will never convey i will never confirm if my growing appreciation for this movie is a bit or not but when you describe the events of it out loud it does sound kind of good <laughs> yes
1: yes an amazing comedy so good
6: yeah i, I think side the publicist has my favorite line in the entire movie oh, yeah? yeah he says this is early at the beginning when they're first meeting frank he says tuesday morning brunch where'd you get this guy bill yeah. like, <laughs> <his> <laughs> going to that's, a fun, that's a different just day. legit funny that's hilarious so, so good, good. <laughs> that's
1: so good also, isn't it, it wild is how life. Rachel was so emotional, distraught over the thought of Frank being shot and knowing that he's going to survive, but still, like, so emotional. But when her sister died, she was like, ah, you know, sometimes it's just <laughs> the time to go. Shit happens. Just shit happens. We say we <laughs> like, Jesus
5: loves me together yeah. at one point. <laughs> it was like, like, what? Like, what was that all about?
3: I, I have never heard that version of jesus loves it's beautiful it's but beautiful. i'm also like where what where, where are they getting this like it's inter- that was interesting
1: also that in time. that moment mm-hmm. you you actually realized yeah her sister fucking hates her guts because here she is just singing this song i get a nice yeah. slow moment and then Wendy comes over the top like an like an angel god being like oh wait hold <laughs> on jesus loves me because of my voice and i'm gonna prove it you skank whore and then she <laughs> it is amazing things that you're like oh that poor sister just wanted to have a spiritual moment now she's got a hire another hitman who can master be on the bed and like
2: it's a great moment because basically the sister nikki is just like sitting on the porch just singing this lovely and by the way nikki does have a nice voice yeah he does but yeah. then whitney comes like a fucking sledgehammer yeah. just like absolutely eviscerous <laughs> oh, comes like God. from out of frame and you're just like yeah i get it i probably want to kill her too i mean this is terrible like <laughs> yeah. you just you like you can't actually win yeah. Oh, it's my. It's probably what uh, Solange feels like with Beyonce. Oh, oh. my sister. Wow. Wow.
4: wow.
2: Like Solange's a good singer. Yeah. She's a Beyonce.
1: <laughs> I don't know. What? Is that a hot take? That I'm is a so... hot take. I, I don't know. Solange's last album is pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It did slap. <laughs> anyway. I'm, just, I'm sorry.
3: I'll, all, my, uh, all my sisters hate how good of a singer I am. So... <laughs> <laughs>
6: I have a question about the, yeah. the end of the movie. Well, actually, from the point that Nikki dies to the end. Do sure. we think that no one told uh, Whitney Houston, uh, Rachel, that uh, her sister was behind the assassination attempt?
1: no no absolutely one told, not no, no one told her no no one tells rachel any no one told Rachel her. someone that her, jerked off in her bed no one told rachel that her sister died actually she had no idea <laughs> that's, that's why she didn't react she's like oh we're at this like funeral party okay cool like we're <laughs> pretend like she's dead all right yeah that's fine <laughs> i mean to your point
2: though harper it is i mean listen i have lots of notes on this movie obviously oh. but, but i think one of the the sort of like protecting her from herself cloistering this woman that that has all these men as her puppet master is also kind of gross and terrible um you know it, it would have been nice if nikki wasn't the villain you know what i mean like it would have been nice if there was a woman in this film that could be her confidant that could be someone that could actually be helpful to her um i mean again you know as emily has attested on many times a lot of men in 1992 not a lot of women
3: i think I don't know. I think that there is a part of me that has, there is like a fantasy, I think, especially in our, the gendered power dynamics we exist within. That is sort of like, I am a powerful, extremely wonderful woman who is the greatest being on the planet and I'm famous and blah, 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 but I don't have time to keep up with all my shit. So I'm going to hire a bunch of dudes and they're going to surround me. They're all going to be subservient to me, but they're all going to like make sure that my life is perfect and they're going to take care of me and they're going to provide there is something in that that's kind of like appealing and i think i think that's why a lot of movies like this and stars born work because there is sort of like this idea of it flips the uh traditional power dynamics of the heterosexual romance on their ear because the woman is more Mm. powerful technically she Mm -hmm. employs the guy but like you know, he's the one who's stepping in to protect her, and like there is like there is something kind of hot about that.
2: Do you think that's what Queen of the Night is about?
3: Uh, no, I think <laughs> that's a, I think that's a musical version of Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Okay.
5: okay. I think it, I also think the movie's three minutes long. They don't. They don't. There's no other <laughs> parts of that movie. <laughs> I, you know what, like to that point, Emily's point though, there's also like Lawrence Kasdan and like. Kevin Costner are kind of the auteurs of this movie, like, uh, and I think it, like, there is that element of, like, yes, it is sexy that, like, she's employing all these women. She is technically more powerful than Kevin Costner and all these guys, but it's also, like, the message of the movie is, like, you have to listen to Kevin Costner. He's the one who knows everything. You're... Anytime you want to step out and like you know be public, you're wrong because the world is so dangerous and stuff, and you can't handle. It. You're like a little baby bird. It's like there's like this. There's this really like yeah, kind of gross element to it too. I I mean I agree with everything you guys are saying. Like I I don't think that that this movie is necessarily like
2: um, <clears throat> malicious in its intent. But I do think that there is sort of some misogyny in there, and there was a lot of misogyny in the early nineties. Misogyny
3: in a movie from the early nineties? What?
2: I know, I know. It's crazy. It's a hot take. But I I I do just I felt kind of it just it felt like it wasn't fair to Rachel's character is ultimately what it comes down to. Like this, this not informing her of like significant things that are going on in her life because you feel like you just want her to keep making, like, it felt very kind of Brittany to me of this, like, just ah. keep dancing, just keep singing, just keep making us money, and we'll just make sure that everything is okay, and that
3: felt kind of icky to me, but, I mean. If I was, if um, I, I was, yeah. if I was Taylor Swift's bodyguard, which I am and should be. Which you are. Yeah. I and would tell friend. her nothing. I would say everything's <laughs> fine. I've taken care of it. You are perfectly safe, my lady.
2: Yeah, if I... <laughs> I hope that we can just get a clip of that video of the look on your face when you said, "I will tell her nothing." It is incredible, problem, and I'm going to demand it from our producer. The
3: problem with my desire to be friends with Taylor Swift is there's so much yeah. evidence of me being completely fucking off the wall with Taylor Swift.
2: <laughs> yeah, can I tell, Taylor should stay far away from me. Can I tell
3: a story about a therapist I once Please? had? Um, I once had I uh, had a therapist in the year 2020 when we were all having a great time. And I would do video therapy with her every week. And one time I was like, just, I was really into Taylor Swift at that time. Like I love Taylor Swift still, but then I was like really fucking into her. And I was like, I just want to be Taylor Swift's friend. And I feel like this is a problem in my brain. And I feel like I need to talk about this and need to think about this because it's not going to happen. And if it did, I, she would never be able to be a friend to the degree that I want her to be. I am responding to her public persona. I was like saying all this out loud to hear it. My therapist said, well, you never know. I know a guy. who felt that way about grace slick when we were in college. And then 20 years later, he moved to LA and who should he meet, but grace slick. And now they're best friends. And like they hang out together all the time. And I was like, this is the exact wrong thing to tell me in this moment.
2: That is bad therapy.
3: She was a great therapist, but that was like the moment when I was like, well, I'm going to pull this off. It's going to happen for me.
2: That is, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm all for therapists. You know, being encouraging, saying being encouraging and being positive. But also, you got to be pretty great I mean, in 2020, everyone that...
3: wanted to give me something to live for. So yeah.
2: <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's I, fair. Uh,
3: but now I have I, I do have a friend who has a friend who went to a birthday party for a child that Taylor Swift was at. I'm not going to name any names here, but like she got a photo of Taylor Swift with my friend. Wow. I mean, and not, just to, like, not to friend of a friend. Family. Yeah.
2: But we did went do to a birthday t- a party of a child. <laughs> yeah. We did a podcast with one of Taylor' first, Taylor's best friends.
3: Yeah. You know, we, I mean, have, uh,
2: we had SD Heim on here. Harper's right there. And, you know. Know.
3: Like Harper and Taylor go way back. That's so,
6: so true. So true. <laughs> All the way back to August 4th uh, at SoFi Stadium.
2: Oh, you were there too? I think that was the day I was
5: there.
6: Oh, nice. Um,
5: I'm not I'm not sure. but I think And once, that date in 2021, was... Soup Plantation closed. <laughs> <laughs> That you guys crossed yeah. paths there, too. Yeah. Of course.
2: Well, and weirdly, Taylor is a uh, co-owner of Sue Plantation. Oh, no. I think we should, no. we should start that rumor. No, but it's been started. Yeah, yeah. there it is. And his face is like, maybe we don't.
5: I just don't like... do anything to jeopardize the friendship.
3: I've been thinking a lot about how everybody in 1995 knew that Paul from the Wonder Years had grown up to be Marilyn Manson. And like now, things oh. go viral in such a weird way, and it's just like, what if that went viral? What if that's the what? What if that's the cultural impact of this of this podcast? Oh, There's this a podcast? bunch of people thinking Taylor Swift is a co-owner of Soup Plantation, a Southern <laughs> California soup and salad buffet company that most people have never heard of.
2: By the way, listen, if that's He's how we get to be a big podcast, Emily, that's yeah. the way it happens. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so at the end of our podcast, guys, we rank our films from zero to ninety-nine. Zero being the lowest, ninety-nine obviously being the highest. Fifty yeah. percent or fifty being the the sort of number of which of which you would uh, um, recommend this film to other people. Um, coming into this podcast, I had this film at a forty. <laughs> I was like, that feels about right. It pains me to say this, yes, but this conversation has made me go up. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm I'm going to say I am now at a 57. Ooh. Oh. I would recommend this people with the caveat to not think about it and just go along with this dumb ride and just enjoy it. The music rips. It's got some good chemistry. It's got, it's got a camera gun. I mean, it's really kind of got everything you want. Um, so that's where I'm at. I'm at a 57.
3: Where are you, Emily? Uh, do me last. Okay, uh, Harper, where are you?
6: Yeah, um, I well, I want to mention that my third favorite genre after sports oh, yes. and romance <laughs> is action. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite movies being Shoot 'Em Up, where he yes! shoots a carrot from between his fingers and into oh. someone's eye. uh okay. Also, bullets. I think it's oh, sorry, it's bullets using a fireplace from his broken fingers, and then also separately, there's a carrot. So to me, the camera gun. Have you seen the
2: film Sleepwalkers by any chance? I have is that not. A movie you've seen. Okay. It's it's a nineteen ninety-two movie that 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 we did an episode on. Someone gets stabbed with a corn cob. Nice. Just saying. Whoa. If you're looking for
1: vegetables penetrating people, that's awesome.
6: Love it. <laughs> I'm adding it to the list right now.
1: Yeah, that's the only movie out there <laughs> that you can recommend.
6: Um, but yeah, so it really hit a lot of my specific genre interests, this movie. But I sure. will say that it, yeah. I did struggle with the pacing. And a lot of the mm. writing, uh, and I'm—I I will give it a 55 though. I was thinking 55, and then you said 57, so I'm right there with you. I think that's—that's that's how I feel too.
1: Stanley, where are you at? Listen, <laughs> when when Superman bases kryptonite, he becomes weaker. He loses his power to defend the world. And when Kevin Costner, or sorry, Frank the Farmer faces the love <laughs> of his life, he too loses his power to defend the one thing he needs to defend, which is Rachel. And for that reason, I think I should give this movie a 92. Here's, oh, here's
6: hell why. Hell yeah.
1: Here's why. Because, you know, sometimes we take love too seriously. Sure, and love, sure. love can be a comedy. Love can be a joke. But above all, love can conquer all, including the death of your sister someone jerking off in your bed, <laughs> stealing a country song, and most importantly, stopping a flights from leaving to whatever gig you needed to go to after all those fucking crazy things happened. And yet, love was still present. So I recommend this movie to everyone that wants to find love. <laughs> Jesus and Christ. And hasn't found love yet. And okay. they wanted time travel to a time where love was allowed mm-hmm. between all people. Wow. 1992. <laughs> Kevin Costner, Winnie Houston, R.I.P. Witt. Yeah. I will always love this movie.
5: 92. Andrew? Uh, wow, I'm going to have to follow, <laughs> that. How do you follow that up. Yes, man. I, mean, I, I, I didn't like this movie watching it. Mm. I like it more talking about it, <laughs> but I don't like that we're doing more work than the movie <laughs> does. i like organizing all these thoughts and, you know, like I do Won't like come to podcast. Like it's, <laughs> I do like that. It's like an underlining of like Whitney. what makes Whitney Houston so great and sure. the tragedy of her life. Like, that even at the peak of her career, she wasn't quite free. And now we got Taylor and Beyonce, like Taylor re-recording all her songs, get her masters back. Like if Beyonce had the rights to make this movie, she would be like, okay, scrap this. Let's get Barry Jenkins. Let's get Steve McQueen. Let's get Ez Devlin to do the stage design. Let's- sure, sure. She has her own ecosystem to cr- be creative and have autonomy, which like, she do- like Whitney doesn't have – at this point in her career she kind of gets it with Cinderella but not where Beyonce is now sure so that's really awesome um, yeah I'm gonna give it uh, I'm gonna give it like 58 a little higher than Philip so, okay, yeah. yeah all right Emily So I where with, you at? I came
3: into this podcast at uh, 25 I did not like this movie <laughs> at all I I had a not a good time watching it I was very annoyed at the fact that people like this movie. I thought that those who enjoy this film are weak of constitution and mind. And I was like, you know what? Anybody can enjoy anything except the bodyguard. That was kind of my sure. attitude coming in. <laughs> mm-hmm. This conversation has, has awakened me to some of the more positive aspects of the film. Certainly Whitney's performance is lovely. The songs mm-hmm. are great. There's some nice like moments in it uh it, it is in there is some fun comedy and i think harper's point about nailing those like specific romantic moments is so well taken and so i have taken all of that in consideration my score's gonna go up a little bit it's gonna go up to an 88 and
1: let's go on this is one let's of the best go. movies
3: ever this is one of the best movies ever made and i think everyone should watch it
2: Can I just say that this has been like literally the arc of the Grinch? (laughs) (laughs) Her heart's grown
3: 10 times. Her heart's grown
2: exponentially. I know that we
3: have a fucking like schedule to keep to, but like, just like... Mm Release this on Christmas Day so people can like <laughs> feel the joy of me. It's
2: coming, it's, it's coming close. Yeah. Um, I do. I'm curious if you guys uh, have seen the film that we're covering next week. We have uh, Liz Hannah coming on, uh, screenwriter oh, so and showrunner, uh, to talk about Sneakers, the Robert Redford film. Uh, I, I haven't seems-
6: seen it. It's so high on my list. Today. I feel like I've been thinking about watching it all year, and I haven't gotten to it.
2: I don't know if you are a subscriber to the Criterion channel, but it is on Criterion right now. Uh, if you are, to our listeners, it's, this is a perfect time to watch it. Uh, Robert Redford, uh, Sidney Poitier, Dan Aykroyd, River Phoenix, Mary McDonnell. Uh, it's a great movie. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, we discuss uh, when Robert Redford was his most fuckable, um, which seems like pretty much his entire life, it seems, for the most part. And um, Emily, did we, I didn't really, couldn't really get a sense of your uh, feelings about Robert Redford. Like, do you, do You mean, I know we talked about him on the podcast a little bit, but we talked more about the movie in general. I'm just sort of curious, pro,
3: anti, I like, think he's hot. I like Bob, you know, I, I think, I think he's, uh, Bob Redford, he's done some great stuff. He's done yes. some stuff I don't like as much. Yeah. So sure. that's, uh, he did not make The Bodyguard, which Takes him down he a did, notch yeah. in my mind.
2: <laughs> but you know what he did do, Emily? What? A river runs through it.
3: That river <sighs> ran through it. I that river I, ran I it. missed that episode, and I can't say she that didn't. I'm sad. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't
2: be. All fly uh, but fishing. our listeners should, should look forward to a lot of talk about fly fishing uh, sometime in the near future. Um, guys, please plug away the various ways that people can can see you and hear you and, I don't know, follow you.
5: Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, first of all, uh, thank you so much for having us. This is such a delight. Like, uh, Emily, like, I've said this in the past. Like, I've read those AV Club reviews, like, when I was in high school and study lab or whatever. (laughs) Just to make you feel (laughs) real old. (laughs) And it was like, you were, like, my version of, like, Roger Ebert, where, like, I was, like, really, really inspired me to, like, think more critically and, like, those essays about, like, it really changed my mind of how I approached Thank you. like media and uh Philip I Phil I saw some of those um uh you know Sleepy Hollow promos while, oh, while I Glee.
4: <laughs> like, when I was watching yeah.
5: Glee you know <laughs> another like uh, fantastic another thing is like um your we talked about this on the Rocky Horror episode of our show where mm. we Talk about your review of the Rocky Horror Glee Show episode. One of the best, <laughs> it's like one of your best reviews.
3: You. I, and I,
5: like, go
3: ahead. It's one hundred percent the screen cap that Miles McNaught made for it. But go ahead. Yeah,
5: yeah. yeah. <laughs> so exactly, it's that screen cap, and I looked up the, um, looked it up on my computer, and the screen cap was gone. I remember that screen cap so vividly from you know when I was a kid, and so like I made that screen cap like the oh little icons on like the group chats for our podcast uh-huh. so like that's, that's your legacy <laughs> so that's pretty cool oh yeah um but yeah like our show I've been meaning to listen to that uh we review albums every week we review albums we've been meaning to listen to use it as a conduit to learn about each other and our guests uh, Emily was on to talk Nirvana in Utero oh, fantastic really? episode um. What are some other episodes you guys like? Uh, Harper and Stanley. What do you, What do you guys recommend? Oh, uh,
6: well, the Olivia Rodrigo episode's going to come out. I had a really fun time talking about guts. Um,
4: mm-hmm. Good album. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
5: Good
3: album. I can't listen to it. it. It gives me PTSD, and I don't know why. Oh wow! <laughs> Genuinely That's interesting for real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to your therapist. <laughs> I mean, we have been. I'm going to be friends with Olivia before you know it. <laughs>
2: Um, before we go, yeah. Emily, uh, queerphobia scale. Where does where this oh, fall on that? This left?
3: film is a negative two on the queerphobia scale because this film believes in love. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I, 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 my, my, general, my general standard for all 1992 movies is that everything is a baseline of a two because everybody in the movie you can assume is making jokes about gay people when the camera's not on them. Uh, and this movie yeah. probably has that. Surprisingly, there's not a lot of like Anti-gay humor, like which you yeah. might have thought would be there, so I'm going to keep it at a two or a negative two okay. because of love.
2: Because love, love wins all. Uh, people can listen to your podcast wherever they listen to podcasts. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, are you guys on social media in any capacity?
5: Yeah, IBMTLTT on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, you can follow Harper at Harping About on Instagram, uh, Stanley at Snap a on Instagram, myself. <laughs> At Andrew Ambrose Lee on Instagram, and uh Michael at—he's uh, not here. He's the other host. Uh He—he he was here, but he was just like really quiet. He was very he's never <laughs> super. The yeah, whole time. <laughs>
4: yeah, i Michael. Like... Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Is that also, Terrence
5: or Philip? <laughs> I
1: think I might—I might be changing my Instagram to the Bodyguard. So oh, capital the capital oh, I haven't decided yet, so it might happen. So follow there, maybe
2: follow there too, possibly. Yeah. yeah. So that's our those are our, our <clears> socials. Yeah. Well. Honestly, this was a blast. We hope oh that you guys gosh. will come back in the future. Yes. can't wait to uh, to be on your podcast mm-hmm. uh, imminently. Talk Kenny G. As well. Talk well, talk Kenny
3: G's contributions <laughs> to the Bodyguard. Kenny Kenny G <laughs> on, Kenny the sem- G's is on the Bodyguard oh, soundtrack. Okay,
2: up. well, listen, I'm very excited to listen to that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, we hope that you guys will come back. Oh, and gosh. I guess that's that's that, right? Is there anything yep. else, Emily, that we need to talk about? No,
3: I mean, I could <laughs> talk for hours. I, I was gonna go see the holdovers and uh, that passed and i was like well maybe i'll go see the marvels and that passed and now i'm like i'm gonna go see thanksgiving no i'm just gonna stay at home
2: <laughs> Wait, so yeah well i hear thanksgiving's fun i liked the marvels yeah me too and i like the holdovers
3: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so i mean i don't know Great. Yeah, all right guys uh we'll talk soon all right thanks all right bye Bye. Bye. bye.
6: bye.